the Coast to Coast AM archives, you're listening to the best of Art Bell. This program was originally broadcast October 30th, 1993. Art will be live tomorrow night for his annual Ghost to Ghost AM show. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Coast to Coast AM. Live ghost stories all night long. This is an annual event, and uh, I've got a number of things to say about it. Number one, uh, number one, I take this very seriously, and uh, Halloween is about here. Halloween is tomorrow, and this is as close as we get with this program, and it's going to kind of be a little touch of, uh, I suppose, some of Area 2000. Uh, what we do here on special occasions, we every now and then turn away from the news, whatever it happens to be. And it's not much this morning anyway. For now, we're going to delve into a whole different world, and one that uh, I want to warn some of you is going to frighten you. And there are people who become upset by uh, discussions involving the paranormal and ghosts and if you are one of those people I urge you right now to turn your radio off go watch TV or something listen to somebody else's radio program because this morning we're going off into a complete different world and I've got a couple of setup pieces this morning that I think you'll enjoy this story from the Associated Press it's Dayline Capitol Hill with its 200 year history it's not surprising that the United States Capitol building is the scene of many a ghost story. Clarence Brown, president of the U.S. Capitol Historical Society and a former congressman himself, says over the past two centuries, both the bold and the faint-hearted claim to have seen or heard spirits at the Capitol. There is the story of the demon black cat reported over the years by more than one guard. There is the sighting of former president-turned-congressman John Quincy Adams, who died near the floor of the old house chamber in 1848. And there are those who smelled baking bread from the Capitol basement long after Union forces ceased using a secret tunnel as a Civil War bakery. Then there's this touch of Nevada story for you that I found particularly fascinating. It comes from a newspaper that you probably don't read that we get in a little town where I live called Pahrump, Nevada. It's a little newspaper called the Gateway Gazette. It's the Thursday, October 28th edition. And the story is by Dave Downing, who is a Gazette staff writer, and it's entitled The Ghosts of the Mizpah Hotel. About two months ago, I bellied up to the bar at one of my favorite watering holes, the Mizpah Hotel Casino in Tonopah. My son had come up from Las Vegas to visit, and we were having a late-night drink. It was about one in the morning. You see, about one in the morning. These are the times, ladies and gentlemen, where these things occur. A fellow, I would guess to be in his 40s, came up from behind us, sat at the bar next to me. I glanced at him, seeing a dozen or two tattoos on his arm, decided to avoid a conversation. I heard him order a beer. 
When the beer arrived, he upended the bottle, guzzled down a slug. The bottle hit the bar with a whack, and he looked at me and said, Boy, that's a hell of a hologram they've got in the elevator. Huh? The elevator, he said. I've never been there before. They've got an incredible hologram in there. I don't understand. He said, Oh, I thought you were a local. The Mizpah has a hologram of a beautiful woman dressed in old-fashioned clothing. It's in the elevator, man. It does look real. I told him that I'm a local. I also asked him, uh, told him uh, there's no hologram in the elevator. He looked at me strangely, drank his beer, and left. A few minutes later, he returned to the bar. He looked upset. You're right, he exclaimed. There is nothing in the elevator. He walked back toward the elevator, and I never saw him again. Had the lady in red appeared again? There are many strange tales from the hallowed ween halls of the Mizpah. The most popular tale involves the murder of a pretty young lady on the fifth floor of the hotel. She was a lady of the evening and became involved in a love triangle. That's according to the assistant manager now of the uh, Mizpah, Sue Harmon. She was caught with another man by the man who was uh, madly in love with her. He stabbed her to death. According to Harmon, there have been many sightings of the lady in red. She resides on the fifth floor, but she'll wander all over the hotel. She loves to pull pranks. She's the one that causes the Kino board to light up. Wait till you hear this. Many employees and visitors to the Mizpah claim they've seen the Kino board begin to flash numbers as if a game were in progress. The Kino boards at the Mizpah haven't been connected to an electrical source for years. Many claim she can be heard at night, moaning and walking about the floors. She's been known to carry on a conversation with people. We'll only later find out no one is there. Sharon Mitchell of Round Mountain relates a story about the lady in red that occurred to her son, Stuart, when he was working at the hotel during its reconstruction in the late 70s, Sharon was a dealer and a pit boss for the Mizpah at the time. Two of my sons worked after school at the Mizpah, helping to remove walls and do general construction work. Stuart was 14 or 15 years old at the time. One night, Stuart was unusually quiet on the way home. I asked him if he was feeling okay, but he said something weird had happened during work. Stuart told his mother... I was working down in the basement, tearing out a wall. There was a woman with me. She asked me what I was doing, and I told her I was taking the wall down. She told me she didn't want the wall taken out. I asked her who she was, and she said, I live here, and I don't want that wall taken down. Stuart went to get his boss. When they returned, the lady was, of course, no longer there. Sharon told her son that it didn't seem... Uh, much to be upset about. Stuart responded, but Mom, it isn't Halloween, but she was dressed in a costume. According to Sharon, her son then described the lady as wearing a long dress with a bustle that looked like turn-of-the-century clothing. He was very upset. Mitchell said she really didn't believe in ghosts, but if they exist anywhere, they're at the Mizpah. Pat Dennis, a former Mizpah waitress, is one who has personally seen the Kino board begin to light up. I don't know if I, I, I don't know for a fact that the Kino board isn't connected to an electrical source, so I can't really say that the lady in red is involved. Who knows? Maybe they left a wire or two connected to some source by accident. 
Dennis says she's heard that the lady in red will steal guest shoes, but only if the shoes are red. George Tooley, a former slot mechanic for the Mizbaugh, has seen that board light up the Kino board. It would start playing a game. Usually, it would happen during the graveyard shift. All of a sudden, the numbers would start lighting up as if a game were being played. You'd get about 20 numbers. They'd stay up for a while, then all go out. It happened three times one night. He added that the controls for the Kino board, get this, were removed in 1979 when the hotel went under, uh, underwent reconstruction. There are no controls for the board, he said. Waitress Linda Evans has had direct experiences with the lady in red. She's always been kind to me, but she doesn't like men, she said. Evans uh, tells a tale of horror involving her son and grandson. Her son was 26, the grandson 13 at the time. I was in the employee's section resting. I'd had only two hours sleep, and I was exhausted. My son and grandson arrived, and I opened the door for them. They just stood there staring beyond me. It looked as if they were in a trance. I asked them if they were coming in. They just stood and stared. I finally turned around and looked behind me, but I didn't see anything. I turned back to them, and my grandson said, That's the first time I ever saw a person without a head. The boy told her they saw a woman dressed in red walk across the room and through a wall. She was holding her head in her hands. They both said they saw the same thing. He also tells the story of a band that had been contracted by the Mizpah. They heard stories about the lady in red decided to hold a party in their room. During the party, they began asking for her a sort of seance. The lady not only appeared to them, but bothered them for the rest of the week. She wouldn't leave them alone. There are other stories about different ghosts in the Mizpah. Jean Heidman, Mizpah desk clerk, tells about a woman from Las Vegas that had a room on the fifth floor. She woke up and saw a man at the foot of her bed. She began screaming, made quite a bit of racket. Next morning, while she was checking out, she apologized for making such a scene. She explained to me that it was the worst and most realistic nightmare she'd ever had. She went to the Pittman room, uh, that's the Pittman room, for breakfast. She was drinking coffee, glanced at the pictures on the wall. Suddenly she dropped her coffee cup and began screaming again, That's him! That's the man! She was looking at a picture of Senator Key Pittman. <laughs> According to Jean Bridges, a former waitress, the Mizpah used to have a security guard na named Otis. Otis was a huge man that others would be afraid of, big macho type. Bridges and others told how Otis was scared to death of the fifth floor. He would refuse to go up there without someone with him. At some time in his Mizpah career, he had gone to the fifth floor room because of a loud party. And that's where he saw her. And I'm going to stop there. There's more. But that's... Uh, that's a little tale uh, of what's going on here in Nevada. And at one of the brothels in um, Pahrump, Nevada, the locals and everybody there is known for a very long time, there is a ghost. Now, 
I guess Nevada is uh, a likely candidate for this sort of thing. I don't know why our history, some of it uh, in the past, violent. And that brings me to why so many ghosts appear, or so many spirits appear to remain here on this world. I think they can't go anywhere else. Frequently, when, when a death is unexpected, early, violent, when there's something utterly unsatisfied here on earth, unrequited love frequently will bring a spirit that seems to stay. Other reasons. I don't know it all. I just know that I've heard the stories, and this morning you're going to hear them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about ghosts, poltergeists, spirits. And one of the reasons that I've found this topic through my life so fascinating, and I always return to it, is because for a very long time I've been on a search, a hard search, for some sort of proof of life after death. Now, obviously, if spirits are remaining on earth or here at all, that means there is some sort of life after death. This may be an aberration. It may be, uh, but, but nevertheless, it certainly is, you must admit, an indication that there is something that comes after. So, if you have a ghost story for us this morning, a real ghost story. If you're seeing a ghost or being bothered by one now, we want to hear from you. And that's a little taste to get you started. I now await your story, and we'll be right back. If you're ready, I think I am, and if it starts to get scary enough, I will extinguish my lights and, uh, and sort of get in the spirit of things. I've done that every year. I'm not allowed to bring a candle in here. No fire. But uh, I do extinguish the lights and kind of get myself into the mood. Here we go. Wild Card Line 3, uh, good morning. You are on the air. Thank you, sir. Uh, this story revolves around a, uh, a historical um, a building in the town of Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is a, um, a town that's uh, out on the very tip of Cape Cod. Um, a number of years ago, this is going back about 20 years ago, my, uh, my uncle was a uh, former California uh, contractor, a builder, who uh, took a job as a caretaker in uh, this uh, building called the Provincetown Inn. Oh, yes. And uh, he was there basically living rent-free to uh, do some re restoration, renovation on this old building. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a guy who watched, you know, the hockey games, It didn't care about ghost stories, didn't believe in that sort of thing. But as he and his wife were living there for a while, they began to see more and more evidence of what I guess you would call poltergeist activity. And this was in the... Um, Pranks, things flying around, that's right. Yes, of absolutely. Uh, they would be watching a hockey game, and uh, uh, his wife would be cooking uh, some uh, spaghetti sauce in the kitchen, and they'd be watching together. She'd come out, and 
and uh, she'd leave the wooden spoon in the pot and they'd hear this clatter in the kitchen and they'd both run out there and the, the spoon would be across the room and spaghetti sauce would be all over the place and uh, then they began hearing footsteps in the uh, upper story of the uh, the inn uh, at all hours of the day and night and would rush upstairs to see who was there because this was generally in the off season when they didn't have any uh, people renting rooms and so forth and mm-hmm. and there was never anyone there and uh, on one occasion they uh, uh, had um, some footsteps who were wandering around and he he got his gun off the rack above the hearth and the stairs uh, were coming down of the wall just on the other side of the living room and there was a door in the entryway that was uh, at the bottom of the stairs and this separated the stairwell from where they were watching television and uh, as the uh, footsteps came down the stair he said to his wife as soon as the footsteps get to the bottom open the door and I'll be ready with the gun mm. and she opened the door and there was no one there and so we began hearing stories about this my family and I lived uh, near Springfield Massachusetts at the time and so my brother and I who were big fans of a television program with Gary Collins it was called uh, the sixth sense or something that was about the time that this was going on and we were all hyped up on this paranormal activity and so we um, we decided we were going to go there with our cameras and try and get pictures of ghosts and this kind of stuff and we had some really frightening experiences um, we uh, uh, began uh, watching my uncle and his uh, wife as they were using a Ouija board, you know, which has the the letters of the alphabet and a number of numbers. And oh, words. I know about Ouija boards. Yes and no and this kind of thing. And and uh, it turned out that leading up to this particular weekend, my brother and I were there. They had actually done some historical research in the archives in Boston and other places to try and find out about the history uh, history of the building. And they found, among other things, that um, in the 1870s, Provincetown had been a big whaling village. There was a lot of whaling going on up, up and down the eastern seaboard. Right. And uh, on one occasion, one of these whaling vessels had run aground uh, on the, um, uh, the sandbars off of uh, Provincetown in a major storm, and a number of people had been killed. Well, the lumber that was salvaged from the wreck of the ship was used to build the Provincetown Inn. Oh, no kidding. It's annexed. You see, it, 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 every time, every one of these stories seems to come back to the same thing. Some sort of violent, unexpected death, or, or some death that uh, leaves somebody wanting in a, in a terrible moment of, of love or hate or any giant strong emotion. Absolutely. In fact, the, the story goes on. I mean, it it gets actually quite a bit more frightening. Um, uh, All right. Well, listen, we're, we're kind of out of time on this one, but uh, I really do appreciate that. It's right down my alley. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Uh, good morning. East Coast Ghosts. Another place where there are a lot of um, stories of ghosts and spirits, of course, is New England. Now... I guess you could once again suggest that um, uh, the older areas, the first settled areas in this country, those up in New England, would be likely settings for such things. And, of course, uh, Europe, where um, society is uh, uh, quite a bit older than ours, and a lot of buildings are quite a bit older than ours, with a lot of history behind them. Uh, seem to be troubled by this sort of thing frequently as well. 
Again, the reason I find all of this so utterly fascinating is that obviously any proof of ghosts, any confirmation of spirits is in effect confirmation of, um, uh, of, of life after death. And I know that many of us, not just me, are totally fascinated by that possibility. So that was a good setup call for what we're going to be doing this morning. I guess you've got the idea. If you've got a story, you know what the numbers are. We'll be back with more. is a special replay of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Tonight's program is a rebroadcast from October 30th, 1993. Join Art live Monday night with his annual Ghost to Ghost AM show. I'm Art Bell. Back to the phones. And uh, good morning. First time caller line. You're on the air. Where are you calling from? Good morning. Uh, from Alameda, California, right well, outside of San Francisco. Oh, excellent. Welcome to the program. Sorrow. Um, last year, my five children and I, we live in a big, old, rambling house, and um, I started hearing things, um, but I thought it was the children. The house was so big that you might hear from the next room with five kids. Anybody could be anywhere in the house. Absolutely. And I'd go, and uh, the door slammed too hard, so I'd go to a reprimand, don't be slamming the door, and there was no one there. So, of course, your mind tells you, hmm, I thought I heard something, oh, well. <laughs> and uh, so then you'd hear footsteps and you'd think someone's coming downstairs and you'd go and, oh, I thought I heard something, oh well. Yeah, well, the human mind, of course, reaches out to find rational explanations for things that may not have any rational explanation. Absolutely, and, and denial, too. Sure. Is, it's called denial. Well, uh, unbeknownst to me, the children were experiencing noises and footsteps, and I didn't want to tell them because I wasn't sure what it was, and I dismissed it from my mind. And then when I started saying, no, this is something, I didn't want to scare them. And apparently they were experiencing all this as well, people going into the shower, someone entering the shower when they were in the shower. That would bother me. Oh, that, that's very unnerving. Um, um, Suddenly be in the shower soaping up and feel the brush yes. of another body next to you. Real oh, no. sensation of something or somebody, and you quickly look out the curtain and no one's there. Oh. You quickly lather off and everything. You say, but I know I did. But here again, I, oh well, 
I guess it's my mind. Mm. Well, everyone was experiencing these things, but no one told anybody. I didn't for the specific purpose. I didn't want to scare the children. They didn't tell me, thinking as a child think that if they told me it would come true. Right. The one day that we found out that everybody knew was when I was reprimanding my son and he was very distracted and agitated and I thought he was being disrespectful. So as I started to correct him even more, he finally said, no mom, it's not you, I saw something. And that's when the flood of everybody, yes, I saw it too, and I heard this, and oh, I boy. saw that, and I saw, I mean, you would hear someone jumping on the bed, and I'd go to look, and nobody was there. Another night, I was home alone, and I was very agitated, and I couldn't read, I couldn't sit down, I couldn't watch TV, and so finally, I sat down and looked at a picture book, one of the children's picture books, and I had this overwhelming sense that someone was looking at me. Mm-hmm. When they came home, they saw two um, footprints of mud and my son put his feet in there and the angle that it was whatever it was was staring at me that's why I was so agitated so these things just started accelerating um, when the thing found out that we knew it started manifesting itself in the form of a shadow and I'm talking about at 12 uh, noon time the children saw it first and they became just uh, crumpled. They were crumpled, absolutely. I mean, they were yelling and screaming. And I'd be crumpled, too. And I mean, I was just... <laughs> I didn't know what to think. Uh, so I called my priest. I went up and we right away got in the van and went up there and told him. And he didn't believe us. He said there were mice or, you know, people, hysteria and all the uh, uh, common explanations that you get. I was so upset that on the way home I ran a stop sign. I knew that we saw and we heard what we saw and we heard. Finally, till that night, I saw the shadow. And I bolted up. Uh, we, had, we were all sleeping now together. We all had to touch each other. Everybody, six people in a room, everybody's feet or something had to be touching. We were so scared. I do understand, yes. I didn't want to tell anybody with the reaction of the priest that it wasn't true i thought we'd be labeled as either liars or did the, did the priest come there no he didn't even want to deal with it he didn't want to hear about it he, i mean what i guess i figured out later like what could he do i don't know i i still don't understand why he did not help us or well anything. we're about out of time how did it become resolved or well uh, another priest we found another priest to come and bless the house um the thing got very agitated. Uh, it started throwing things and making noises. And when the priest left, it was still here. We all, my children just became hysterical. I got a crucifix and very uh, uh, corny, I guess. But I went through the house, sending it back to where it came, and it left. But I was still about two weeks later now. We're still sleeping together. No one can move. We're paralyzed. No one's eating. No one's going to school. No one's anything. And I'm just saying in my mind, what could it have been? And a voice said, your brother. Uh, sure oh enough, I called God. around the last known address he was at. No one had seen him in about 15 years. Somehow I was able to track him down in San Francisco. He had died two months before. Oh, my God. Thank you, very, thank, thank you very much for the call. Oh, that sends sh- shivers down my spine. That's the kind of thing that does it, and that's the kind of thing that is so 
frequent. Uh, when you hear these stories, it comes again and again. Somebody who's passed away. Somebody who's passed away without leaving a message or finishing something that was so important in their life that it couldn't be ignored even in death. Well, let's break for a moment. Good evening. You're on the air. Oh, yes, Art. I had a brush with something eerie in uh, 1956 in Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, as a young couple, my husband and I had moved into the third floor rooms of a very old house, probably built around the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And uh, we rented the uh, third floor rooms. An old couple in their 80s were our landlords on the first floor. The second floor was empty. Mm. And uh, so... Among our four rooms, there was one particular small room that for some reason I had a very strange, eerie feeling about. I just never felt right. We just used it for storage and always kept that door closed. Uh, so this one particular night, my husband traveled on business and he was away. I came home from work about 6 o'clock. The old couple were in their rooms downstairs but with their doors closed, so I felt very much alone in the house. And I was up there. Our bathroom happened to be on the second floor, which was empty. So I was up there for a couple of hours, and I kept having this terrible feeling that something or someone was in that little room. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kept thinking, well, I must be being silly. So after a couple of hours, I went down to use the bathroom on the second floor. And while I'm in there, something seemed to be telling me, do not go back upstairs. And uh, I had to really drag myself up there because I had this horrible feeling. And I you, you mean you went anyway? I went anyway. Well, why do people oh. always, even in the movies, the woman, scantily dressed women, always go to the basement? Why well, I wasn't scantily dressed. Well, that's fine. So anyway, I decided I'm being foolish, so I go up these stairs, and I'm climbing up this very long flight of steps, and I get almost to the top about the third step down when I hear the latch of that door open up. Oh. It made a click, a loud click, and that door opened and made the biggest squeak you ever heard in your life, just like in the movies. And uh, I raced down those steps back to the bathroom, three at a time, literally. Went back in that room, closed the door, locked that bathroom door, and I sat in there for about two hours till my husband came home. When I heard that front door downstairs opening, I was so relieved. He came in, and I told him what had happened, so we went back upstairs. And uh, that door was open yes. about, uh, oh, about a foot or so. And we looked inside, of course, we saw no one, nothing. And uh, I can't explain why that happened to open that night that way. But in any case, I always, you know, gave me heart failure. But a postscript to all this is that within a year after we had moved out of that house, uh, the old man downstairs in his 80s had died. And a young couple apparently had moved into the second floor, and we read in the paper that the baby, their baby had died in its crib. Oh. And uh, they were on the second floor. And, and then, you know, I just had the strangest feeling that there was a very evil spirit in that house that was looking for a victim or something, and I almost feel that if I had gone up those stairs that night when I heard that door open, that I could have been that victim. Oh, well, that's... That was, honest to God, a really spooky house. I understand, and I heartily appreciate your story. Okay. It was a good one. Thank you. That was a good one. Um, 
Why is it, do you think, that people always compulsively almost do what they've been instructed not to do? Why, uh, I joked about, you know, in the horror stories where they always go directly to the basement. It kills me. No, I screamed, no, not the basement. They open the door and down they go where they're eaten alive by something, inevitably. But even in real life, listen to that lady. Listen to the story we just got. Something told her not to do that. And what's the first thing she did? She forced herself to do it. Maybe the answer is that we want to return to a rational thought pattern. If something disturbs us, we want to deny it. We want uh, a rational explanation for it. So instead of caving into the natural fear of the moment over what just happened, you proceed to, to get a, try to get a rational, oh, it was the cat, or something like that. You search automatically, or you, you feel uh, a compulsion to go and uh, uh, search for a rational explanation. That, that might make sense. Uh, top of the morning on our first-time caller line, you're on the air. Hi, is this Art? Yes, it is. Welcome to the program. Where are you, please? I am in Seattle. Seattle, Washington, all right. That's the most livable city in the nation, and I don't care what the people in Cincinnati say. <laughs> hey, we're talking about spooky, eerie, weird kind of stuff happening. That's true. Well, I have a story for you that will probably won't send... Uh, goosebumps up your spine It'll probably make you go Oh isn't that sweet um, If that's possible I had an aunt That I was very very close to Actually a great aunt Very close to her She was kind of I just Always kind of looked up to her In life um, She was kind of my Sure Mentor My mentor Thanks And I had gone out to the cemetery As I do once a month To put flowers on her her grave and kind of trim the grass and all that right. and as I was driving around the curve you have to go downhill and around the curve to get out of the cemetery she ran out in front of my car and I thought no I'm seeing things but when somebody run or something runs out in front of your car what do you do you slam, slam on the brakes I got rear-ended by two other cars one of them being the security guard at the cemetery I jumped out of the car thinking oh my god I'm gonna pay for this one through the nose went back to make sure the people in the other two cars were okay and both of them said well that woman shouldn't have run out in front of in front of you like that and i said well you saw her too and they said of course we saw her and i said well i don't really remember what she looked like i knew what she looked like but you know i wanted to check things out now when you went around to check the front of your car there was i take it no woman there was no dent i mean i didn't hit her she just kind of ran out in front of the car across the street and up up this hill towards where there's kind of some woods and everybody there was a family in the car behind me and the security guard all saw exactly the same person a year after that i went to the cemetery drove down the hill went around the corner and the same exact thing happened again and i was rear-ended you're wrong this another is, car you're, you're wrong sir this is a goosebump story they saw the same person and I guess the, the point that I'm getting at is I see my aunt all the time. I see her when I'm in town. I don't know if it's somebody that looks like her. But I just feel that she has a lot to do with the things that have been happening in my life. I feel like she's always do you there tend, guiding do you, me. Yeah, do you tend to see her at critical junctures in your life? You know, that's funny you should say that. A month ago I was in the hospital facing major surgery. 
and the door opened one night and she came in and sat on the bed, took my hand and said, the doctors are wrong, they've misdiagnosed you, you need to tell them that. The next morning, I asked the doctor to rerun tests because I felt something wasn't right and sure enough, the test had come out wrong and I didn't need surgery. Oh, oh man! I, All right, sir. I've got to run. We're out of time, but uh, believe me, that's a that's a prime. You're a lot. She's there and she's taking care of me, so I have a good guardian angel. Thank thank you for the she, call. My my gosh, what a story! Uh, didn't mean to cut you off, but we're out of time, and uh, I think we got the substance of your story. And believe me, sir, you're wrong. That's that's a big goosebump story. Big goosebump story. That's incredible. Of course. It, uh, it it might be some evidence that there are spirits of all uh, temperaments. In other words, spirits not only that um, uh, that are evil, spirits that are uh, helpful or loving may be there as well. Spirits of all kinds, kind of like a cross section of the people that we've got on the planet right now, eh? Good morning. Line two, you're on the air. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I wanted to tell you something that uh, you just keyed my mind after listening, listening to everyone else. Well, these have already been some pretty good stories, haven't they? Yes, they have. Uh, in 1955, uh, we had moved from Ely, Nevada, which is a very famous mining town, etc., a very old town. And we had moved over to Provo, Utah in 1953. And in 1955, on December uh, 18th, I woke up with a terrible dream that someone in the family had died. And I didn't know who it was. And I immediately keyed on to my cousin, who was still residing in the same town in Ely. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I called her that night, and I asked her how everything was going and everything. And they, you know, uh, there were uh, three kids in the family then, and or four kids in the family then, and her mother was pregnant with number five. And she said, well, everything's fine, you know. And I said, well, I was going to call and wish a Merry Christmas. And uh, on December 21st, I woke up, and it was some ridiculous hour, like 1230 or something, and I'm in school, and I'm a young person. Mm -hmm. And I said, somebody's gone. And I laid awake and waited for the phone to ring. And it rang, and it was my cousin's uncle had died in a car accident mm. and I thought oh wow this is pretty weird you know and then I um, had been experiencing other things throughout my life and uh, during uh, 1970 I was visited in my mirror by my father my biological father who I did not know was deceased that would scare me to death. That might scare me to death. To look in a mirror, I hear stories like these, ma'am, and uh, that would really frighten me. How solid did the vision seem to be? Well, the first thing was is um, it was a new home. Well, it was it was new to me and my husband, and of course my my first child was born while we were there, and I was pregnant with my second child, and uh, we had just bought a, this new bedroom set and set it up and, and everything and my husband was away a lot he was active in mining and stuff and um, all of a sudden just out of a clear blue sky I woke up and I saw this this strange light it was like light in the mirror 
Mm-hmm. And it got brighter and brighter and brighter. And I got scared. I really did. I understand. And uh, all of a sudden, it just, it just, like, it came out of the mirror. And there was my biological father. I had not seen him since I was Wait, wait a minute. Old. Wait a minute. It came out of the mirror? Out of the mirror. In a solid form? In a solid form. And it was my biological father, and I had never seen him since I was three years old. And you had a conversation with this man? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And what he said, he said not to be afraid. And he said, kiss the children for me. And it just, it brought tears to my eyes. I was so frightened, and yet I was at peace. It was just amazing. Believe me, I understand that cross of emotions. I've got to go. Thank you so much for the story. Did you hear her voice at the end? Did you hear that? Do you believe that, lady? I do. Do you believe these stories? I do. Do you understand what it means? I think I do. Is there life after this one? I think there is. Are these things we don't understand? They certainly are. Are they a little frightening? They absolutely are. All I can conclude so far is that um, in the matter of somebody's death, which is violent or is unexpected, or in the, in the manner of, of somebody uh, who dies and uh, has something that they must do, something they didn't finish, somebody they didn't say goodbye to, somebody they wanted to tell that they loved before they left and didn't get a chance to, children that are left behind that you wanted to be sure understood that you loved them because what could be more important at that time? Really nothing. Does all this add up to life after death? I think that it does. That's why we do these programs. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM from Las Vegas. Yeah, the 
Coast AM Archives. You're listening to the best of Art Bell. This program was originally broadcast October 30th, 1993. Art will be live tomorrow night for his annual Ghost to Ghost AM show. If you're just tuning in, we are exploring areas that some would say we ought not. Ghosts, the paranormal, things that people have seen and heard. If you'd like to be part of it, pick up a telephone and join in. You're back on the air, sir. Hi, thank you, Arne. As I was saying, um, this house out in Marinwood, after all this activity started taking place in the house, now they haven't had any sightings. You don't have to see something to be haunted. A lot of poltergeist activity, they don't see things. Mm-hmm. But electrical sockets burning out, doors getting slammed. Um, her father came out to the house. He is a, in construction, a contractor. Did some work on the sockets, and toasters would plug in, and then they'd burn out. Hmm. Uh, one day, a woman friend of hers came over to pay her a visit. Comes into the house, has a small three- or four-year-old child. The child says he sees a lady in the hallway. Oh. A little while later, he's playing in the hallway, door slams shut. The woman, the mother of the child, and the woman who owns the house... It takes him 20 minutes to get the door unstuck, at which point the mother becomes hysterical. The little kid is scared because the lady was, he had felt or thought he had seen the lady there. They finally did get the door unstuck. There was no reason for the door being stuck. Mother and child left the house, haven't been back since. Theory. You were talking about how a lot of these people get separated from their bodies. The Indians and a lot of people believe that people who are addicted to drugs or drink alcohol get separated from their spirit. I've heard that. Now, if somebody gets separated from their spirit because of drug abuse or they weren't ready to leave because they've died a violent death, then I think if they don't, if there's that separation of body and spirit like that, or the Indians say it'll punch drugs and alcohol will punch holes in your spirit, if you beat your spirit up or yourself up, you may wind up being grounded here. Well, that that would seem to happen, wouldn't it? Uh, I mean, story after story after story. And like I say, they looked into it, and they had found out that, yes, a woman had died there years earlier, and then later on they looked into it and discovered that, well, the cause of death was a heroin overdose. And this is one very angry spirit. Some people get in that house, and they're they're fine. Some people go in there, and they aren't fine. Well, if it does punch holes in the spirit, that's a big hole. They tried to get my girlfriend to babysit out there, uh, house sit, rather, and when she found out about the house, she didn't want to go. And so there's some sensible information for your listeners, too. I, 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 I appreciate it. I appreciate it, sir, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Right. Bye. Um, you know, you ask yourself that question, would you go into a haunted house if you knew it was haunted, if the story was that it was haunted and there were spirits lingering there? Would you go in? Top of the morning, you're on the air, coast to coast AM with Art Bell. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, hi, Art. Uh, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, yes. Uh, listen, sir, I'd like to interject a note of caution uh, from the cultural mecca of all that is the United States. <laughs> right. um, first of all, if, if I, also before I can, with the death of uh, Vincent Price, I want to say you made it into my top four American heroes, sir. Oh, well, thank you. All right. <laughs> anyway, listen, I had an experience with a Ouija board, and uh, just, a, just a note that the, uh, you know, biblically, I don't know how you feel about Christianity. But the scriptures do tell us that uh, that ghosts, you know, the spirits of the dead do not come back uh, to haunt the living. Uh, in fact, they're demons uh, t- taking manifestations in order to fool 
uh, the relatives of those that have already passed on. So how, how then, if that's the case, do you account for some of the stories like we've heard this morning, the lady with the car and no brakes, spirits that seem to be those of departed uh, loved ones that are here to help? Well, a lot of times, you know, you don't have the full stories. A lot of a lot of these spirits may be, uh, you know, intending to, to appear as benevolent, uh, when in in fact the intentions may be very malign. I, I, that's not what I wanted to talk about. I want to give you my own experience very quickly. Sure. Uh, what I was doing is I was playing with a Ouija board alone, a uh, long, long time ago. Bad idea. Bad idea. And uh, I began having an argument with the planchette. Well, you know, I thought, oh, this is nonsense. This is my own energy. And, you know, there's nothing in this. <laughs> uh, and at one point. I Every time that I would push the planchette to the S, the phone would ring. And so I asked, the, you know, I asked the, the, the board if it were in fact ringing the phone, and it moves to the yes uh, position. Well, I, I ran across the room to answer the phone. The phone kept ringing, and there was this, it was a crackling line. It sounded, the, the voice was distant, miles away, yes. uh, ancient voice, and it, it says, you shall, and I, I didn't have the guts to listen to it. I hung the phone up. Phone up. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> For the next seven years, uh, this uh, you know phenomena have been uh, been happening in my life. Uh, for example, I'll pass by cars. Haven't you forevermore, if I can stop you, wondered? You shall, you shall, you shall what? I don't know. I don't know. How could you hang up? <laughs> I, I really did not want to know. I didn't want to hear what it was going to say. Okay. Uh, but it is a warning. Don't uh, you know the the I, I've had an aversion to the uh, paraphernalia of the occult ever since. And uh, I think, you know, there, there is... Uh, I have a lot of respect for Ouija boards. I've had an experience with one myself, and I won't even talk about it. Well, as I said, it may answer your question of whether or not you would spin around and see what it was there that was manifesting itself uh, or going to a haunted house. I've done it in, uh, in, since the experience, but uh, in every case, I've, I've rooted. I appreciate your call, sir. Certainly. Have a good morning. All right. That's Salt Lake City with a caution and a, and a well-given caution it was, too, I might add. Well, given caution, you be careful. There are lots of things out there that we don't understand. And I think, I think the possibility exists that a Ouija board is just inviting trouble. Line three, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Art. How are you doing? Fine, sir. Welcome to the program. You have a good uh, show tonight. Thank you. Say, I have a question. <clears throat> that caller that called uh, last hour about the glowing gravestone? Yes. Um... There's a phenomenon called St. Elmo's Fire. Yes. Mm -hmm. But St. Elmo's Fire um, tends not to return uh, predictably to the same place again and again. Yeah. Uh, during a... Um... Not saying it wasn't. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, on many occasions the caller said he saw this glowing gravestone and uh, uh, that it would be St. Elmo's Fire... That many times is not probable. That's true, but that's that'd be be something you really want, would want to see once, and I think that'd be about it. That'd do me. Yeah. Well, take it easy. All right. Thank you. Just wanted to suggest that possibility. I guess. Hi, on the first time caller line, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi. Um. Where Where are you, sir? I'm in Alaska. Alaska. All right. I was in the United States Marine Corps, and I was a sniper. And I was stayed, I went to Granada, and I got hit in the knee with a bullet. And my, from pictures in the family, it was my great great grandfather in a Civil War uniform that sat down and froze my leg. And the Granada is a jungle, 
And he said, everything will be okay, boy. Everything will be okay. And this first time I've talked about it, other than to the military psychologist, and... All right, let's, let, if you don't mind, I, I, I want to be sure I understand. You were part of the invasion force. You were a sniper. You were in Grenada. Yeah, my job, my, my job was to make sure nobody, none of the Cubans, got into the students at the university. Uh-huh. And so you were stationed there, and you were just going to take them out if you had to. Yes. And, and uh, anti-sniper got me. My A-gunner ended up getting him. Hit you in the leg? Yeah, in the in the knee. In the oh god. Well, it went from the knee at the end of my military career. Went from the knee up around um, the pelvis bone and out the other ankle. The bullet traveled my whole my all, all. What a horrible injury! Yeah, it hurt very much. So. And so you were laying there. Yeah, I well instantly fell. There was nothing I could do. And, like I say, through pictures of the family photo album, it was my, I think it'd be three great, he was in the Civil War, and it'd be three great grandfathers, sat down and froze my leg. There, my leg was frozen, not cauterized, it was frozen. Frozen. The whole wound, which is something nobody's been able to explain. And he said, everything will be okay now, boy. Everything will be okay. And left? Yeah. That's eerie. What did the medics say? Medics? They were just asking me what we'd done, how we'd done this, um, where did we get ice. Um, nobody could understand. The psychologist told me that it was uh, um, in the lust of battle and that I'd lost a lot of blood and that I wasn't sure what, I, what was happening. But um, my spotter, who was also a sniper, he felt something cold as he was taking the other man out. And he has shot before. It wasn't, you know... It's not the coldness you feel when you take a man out. I understand. It was completely different, and, you know, I was scared, but at the same time, there was this great uh, feeling of purity and uh, just the joy of knowing that I had a family member there, because I really thought that I'd, you know, the pain that I was feeling, I knew where I was, I knew where the bullet went out. I didn't know what the damages were. That's the most incredible story I've ever heard, and I really appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Wow. For that one, I'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Good morning. You're on the air. Coast would have been. You were a dial tone. Spirit of a dial tone. Wild card line three, you're on the air. Hello, Art. Hello. Yes, I have a... This is Mark from Anderson, California. Hi, Mark. Yeah, I had a situation that happened a couple of years ago. I was sitting at a friend's house, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And um, this, we were sitting there talking about, you know, people that we've known throughout our lives. And uh, I was sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden, I bent over in extreme pain. I mean, it took me to the floor, out of the chair onto the floor on my right side. And then I kind of got a headache, and we were just, for some reason, my friend Craig and I both noted the time. Right. The thing that was strange was the next day, uh, my friend had, was looking through the paper and noticed that uh, a friend of mine had been killed. Uh, she was, I used to work at a, at a convenience store, and she used to come in, and her parents didn't really listen to her, and I was kind of like her mentor. I was her sounding board, you know, whenever she had problems. Mm-hmm. 
And I, he told me that this young lady named Kelly had died. And uh, I knew the area where she she had been hit by a car. I knew that much. And I went out into the area, and I was just kind of walking around. By feel, I found the area where she was hit, just through whatever I have on, in myself that told me this you, is it. You just knew it. I just knew it. And uh, we were kind of kicking around, and I, I we saw one of the sheriff's deputies' uh, car go up there, and I went and flagged him down and asked him if he had been working the night she got killed. Mm -hmm. And he said yes, and I told him that she was a friend of mine, and I said to him, uh, <laughs> I know this is going to sound morbid, but what side of her body did the truck impact her on? He told me that the initial strike hit her on the right side, fracturing her pelvis. She flipped up over the truck and uh, landed on her head and was killed immediately. Mm. Now, this was within five minutes. This was the night before that I had fell over. This was in five minutes of that time that, that the time of death was pronounced. And my belief is that she said, uh, came to me and said goodbye. And it was just, it was just too weird. And a friend of mine, if you'd like, he he was there. He, I told him if if you would like, he could call back and verify because he was there, and he was kind of freaked out as the couple of days where we talked to the sheriff's deputy and stuff. I just, I'm I'm just convinced it happens. People and, come uh, back. Pe people do come back, and they do say goodbye. Uh, my friend and I are researching a book on. Uh, we're going to be writing a book basically on poltergeist and and demonology. And I was wondering if uh, either I could give you an address that people could write letters to, because we're, we're looking for input, or if you'd prefer that I mailed it to you. Well, if I were you, I would roll a tape on this program. Okay, well, all I realize. Right, but right. I, Otherwise, I'll see what I can do. Okay. All right, thank you. You might want to, uh, you really might want to get a copy of this program. Because these are some of the most serious stories that I've ever heard. And I don't know where you could go to get a better rendition of stuff that'll just put the hackles right down your back. <laughs> this is pretty good this morning. Good morning. On our first time caller line, you're on the air. Where are you, please? I'm calling from Denver. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Art, I want to tell you that that Ouija board... If you mess with that, it happened to me when I was nine years old. It's an entrance for a satanic spirit to enter your body. And Dr. Ken Olson, who was on the Maury Povich show... Maury Povich. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Thank you. He was the person that released that terrible demonic spirit. And it happened to me when I was nine through age 54, the worst type of satanic deprivation that could ever enter a human body. And I'm telling you, leave it alone. Don't allow anyone to touch or be around or play around with a Ouija board. Because if you don't have someone like Dr. Ken Olson, who is uh, an exorcist, a vessel of Jesus Christ, he is an instrument of God to pray to release that. It can cause the worst type of nightmares that you could ever have and the worst type of life that you could ever have. And I want to tell you the truth and your listeners to never 
be around the Ouija board or allow any type of activity. Well, I'm, I'm glad you gave everybody else the caution. I don't need it. Believe me, I've got that caution. Thank you for the call. That's Denver. And heed what that man says. Ouija boards are bizarre things that do seem to, you know, hate to use the word door, open the door, but open a channel, open a conduit for things that you really don't want around you. Line three, you're on the air. Good morning. Okay, I'm calling from Reno. Reno, oh, KOH, yes. And this concerns the old mining camp of Virginia City. Uh, <coughs> one of the big mines, <coughs> excuse me, the big mines been abandoned for many years, but there are 700 miles of shafts and tunnels and drifts and windows underground. Yes, sir. 200 miles in a big labyrinth. And uh, I was having lunch with my parents in Virginia City and knocking at the back door and came an old friend of my dad's, very agitated, a big lump in his forehead and it was split, just cut and uh, blood was coming down. So folks patched him up and he, like many of the old retired miners, he liked to roam through the abandoned mines, take samples out and stuff like that. And he was at, in the mine called the Ward Mine. Southeast of Virginia City. Is that W A R D Ward? Yes. Uh huh. And uh, I think I guess he had his carbide lamp in his hat. Uh, and he turned the corner and came come down a corridor. There, you know, kind of illuminated, was a man buried up over, almost to his head in cave-in dirt. His arms were free, and he was shaking them and waving his head back and forth. He's face was contorted and uh, obviously a cave in there <clears throat> our friend was so startled that he turned around and started to run the timber, timber over the top over the roof of the mine and he ran into it that's where he got that knock on the head well when he told the story around town people just laughed and said well he must have bumped his head first and had a yeah, sure sure uh, several years later, some mining engineers were looking at the maps of the old mines, and they were examining the ward, and it has all the details. And they said, my goodness, there was a fatal cave-in in the tunnel number so-and-so, and that was the one. That is really eerie. True. That's really eerie. I understand, sir. I understand. I really thank you for the call. Okay, Art. And uh, it, so there you go. Uh, there is a mining story. A man buried almost to his head who had died violently and quickly and unexpectedly. The worrisome part, of course, of that is if that is to be the manner of your death or mine, would we... Would we be forever trapped here on earth in such a, uh, destined to repeat such a gruesome experience again and again, though it wasn't something that was uh, from uh, some deviant behavior that we had exhibited, but simply the unlucky moment of a mine caving in on us. Line one, you're on the air. 
Morning, Art. I thought I'd give you a call. Been listening to these programs. I'll give you an experience. Uh, a couple of years ago, coming in on uh, 163, I was approaching uh, Level Canyon Turnoff. And you know where the old Christmas tree used to be? Yes. I... Okay, it was right after that fire. Uh, it was lightning, and we were joking around as we were driving. And I said, you know, and defiantly, like, just show me that you're out there. And uh, a couple times the lightning struck, and so finally again I said, you know. Just show me that you're out there, meaning God? Well, a superior being, yeah. Oh, um, God, who knows? Uh, listen, would you um, hold through my break? It's a good place to break it anyway. Okay. All right. Show me you're out there. Prove it to me, huh? special replay of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. This program originally aired October 30th, 1993. Please do not call. If you've got the guts, turn off the lights, turn your radio on, and join us. This is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Back now to line one. You're back on the air again, sir. Okay, thank you. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, we were just joking around and and uh, again like I said it's sort of like a, a challenge you know make me a believer and uh, about that time uh, literally uh, two bolts of lightning came right across the front of the truck and and hit the side of the road about oh maybe 400 yards up from where we were traveling and it was just like out of a Star War I mean it was one bolt from one side of the car and one from the other and <laughs> We pulled over and sat there for about five minutes and uh, drove on up to Mountain Pass. And like I said, uh, tell me something. Had you said this mentally, crying out, or had you said it aloud? We were talking about, and I in in the conversation, we said I said it out loud. I told him, I said, Bill, I said, you know, let, let, just show me out there, God, if you're out there, make me a believer. And you know, a couple strikes around us, but then. 
And, you know, well, that was close. Uh, give me another sign. Make sure that I, that you, you can hear me, you know. Well, I'm glad you didn't ask for absolute proof. <laughs> well, <laughs> tell you what, I've never asked for something again that I didn't want. <laughs> oh, man, what a story. Now, how has this affected you, and how has it affected Bill? Well, we talk about it uh, occasionally, and uh, like I said, we just uh, look at each other and shake our heads. Uh, and like I said, it, it, to me, it's a thing in life now. I don't ask for anything that you know in a joking manner anymore. Uh, it's like, been said. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it might come true. <laughs> Thank you for the story. Take care. That's uh, <laughs> that was quite a story. That's a local story too. That's a road I travel every day, and it's a dark road, and it's a dangerous road that I travel. Highway 160. I do about 120 miles a day on it. There have been a lot of people killed. There are a lot of crosses placed on the uh, roadside to designate the place where it's occurred. But I've never seen anything. Not yet. Good morning. On the first time caller line, you're on the air. Hi, I'm calling from Genoa, Nevada. Uh, where in Nevada? Genoa. Genoa, Nevada. Oh, Genoa. Gen where is that? It is um, just about 10 miles south of Carson City. Uh, it's the first Nevada settlement. Very good. And um, anyway, I was, uh, this was about two years ago, my story, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and uh, I was going out with a girl who had just got into recovery, and we were in um, counseling, and we were doing a bunch of inner child work. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons we got along so well, our therapist says, because we, we played so well together. Well, this whole relationship went sour, and she began dating this other man, and uh, they were going to move to Cleveland, Ohio. And um, anyway, so one night, I'm laying in my bed, and, and this therapy work that we we're doing with inner child, you have to close your eyes and, and imagine this child and... and uh, you know what what that child was doing at the time and and i was laying in my bed and my eyes were open and all of a sudden this little girl about eight years old um she had a pixie haircut and kind of a she was wearing shorts and a and a small halter top came up and she was standing right next to my bed and my eyes were wide open and um it was that my girlfriend is like you know a smaller version of her right and yes. and this girl without opening her her lips or anything said you know to me i've come to play with chris who was like and that's my name and my inner child so anyway so anyway so this this little girl is standing there and and she's talking to me she says and i'm leaving i'm moving and i wanted to come and play and so she starts taking off with this other little kid. I, you know, I'm assuming it was me, and and they're running. Uh, and all of a sudden, then I don't see walls in my room or anything. I just see them out like in a a field running. Wow. And and I keep saying out loud to this girl who I was I was you know had since not dated. Gary, do you do you feel this? I was wondering if there was a connection between her and me. Right. And I kept saying, do do you do you feel this? Are you here? Do you, you know, <laughs> are you seeing what I'm seeing? And then after they got done playing, this, and this went on for, uh, I'm going to guess, 10 minutes. And then the little girl walked back up and, and said thank you and that she was leaving. 
and um, that you know hopefully she would come back to see us again. And I and I had told her. I mean, I'm talking directly to this. She was transparent, but it, she was still standing right there. And, and I was telling her, I said, um, you can come back anytime you want. It was not a fear thing. I was not afraid. Why not? Uh, well, because she was... Because she was, I guess because it was somebody you knew, somebody you know. Right, I think so. And she was just, was she was just, you know, eight years old, nine years old, and, and, and just real shy and, and, you know... I would like to think I could react as you did. I, I'm going to have to leave the line because we're out of okay. time. I thank you for the call. I would like to think that I would react that way. And maybe, maybe, if it was somebody that I had known, somebody that I was comfortable with, and the experience felt benign, maybe I would be. But I'm, I'm not sure of that. <laughs> Line two, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Art. Hello. Hello, in Las Vegas. Yes, sir. Uh, I'd like to relate an experience I had, but first I'd like to see if I can jog your memory. The last time I called in was oh, a year or so ago, and you had put out a question over the year, and I think the, it's somewhat apropos of tonight also. Um, the question that you put out was uh, that night was, uh, what do you think the purpose of life is? That's right. And I, uh, my call to you was a story that was related to me, and I told you at the time I wasn't sure I believed or accepted it, is that we were, this is where I want to see if I can jog your memory. Um, we were all gods and goddesses, and uh, we had everything and could do everything, and so we decided to play a game, and the game was called Life, and part of the rules of the game. I remember. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're right. The question and tonight's topic go together very well. Go ahead now. Uh -huh. um, some years ago, uh, in the late 60s, I was living in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, I uh, made a couple of acquaintances. They had a small business going. Uh, one was a writer, the other was a printer, an artist, and uh, they had uh, made up copies of a poster that they uh, uh, came up with. And uh, in our dealings, they they asked that I would I sell the poster for them. I agreed to, and for a while I sold it around the Los Angeles area to bookstores and so on. And uh, then they suggested why don't you make a trip to to the Bay Area, to San Francisco, and see uh, how it'll go up there. Uh, it was during the time of the Haight-Ashbury things, during the hippie days. Oh, I remember the time. Uh-huh. And so I, I agreed to make the trip, and I went up there, and the evening that I arrived in San Francisco, I, uh, uh, before I decided to get a hotel, I decided to eat in a restaurant, and then after that I went to a, uh, a piano bar, so I'd uh, just kind of rest for a while and uh, listen to some music. And uh, a fellow sitting next to me at the piano bar, uh, and I got to talking, and... Uh, um, I let him know that I was up from uh, L.A., and uh, he said, well, you don't have to get a hotel room. Uh, there's a house that I know of that uh, isn't being occupied right now, and uh, I've got the key, and you're welcome to use it. I went to the house, and it was on a street of the old Victorian uh, homes that are so frequent in San Francisco. Uh, this was about uh, the middle of the block, and it was the only one in the whole row of Victorian homes on that block that was set in from the others. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I went up the porch and uh, unlocked the door and turned on a light and went inside. Right. But as I entered, I got a very uneasy feeling in, in my gut. And as I got further into the place, into the house, uh, uh, that feeling got stronger. Uh, and I just 
figure, oh, well. Uneasy as in you shouldn't be there? Yeah, exactly. All right, listen, we're short on time, so... Oh, I wanted to get the story out. Uh, anyway, so I uh, I walked uh, into the kitchen, and uh, which was all the way in the back, and uh, I, there were uh, windowed, uh, windows, uh, multi-windows and, and a window door, and I opened the door and was going to step out, and I paused, and I looked down, and... There were no stairs, and it was about 10 feet straight down. Uh, I then pr pr proceeded into the living room, and uh, uh, I've got a much more uneasy feeling. Um, we're about to run out of time. I, I went up the stairs slowly, and I got to the head of the stairs. There were two bedrooms. I could not enter either of the bedrooms. I just had to leave. It was, became unbearable to be there, even though my mind was saying, there's nothing wrong here, there's nothing wrong here. I just couldn't stay. It was extremely uncomfortable. All right, we're going to have to hold it there. Thank you very much for the call, and good morning. Have you ever had that happen? Something inside of you so strongly compelling you to leave, telling you that something is urgently, terribly, profoundly wrong. Good morning. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning, Art Bell. Yes, where are you calling from? Please? This is Pablo. Pablo in Canada. Yes, you have something that relates to all this, Pavo? Yes, I do. That's amazing. All right, let's hear it. Usually, people that enter into um, my domain receive an eerie feeling when they see all of the uh, murals and... I can only imagine what your area looks like, Pavo. But there's one room in my house that is a shrine... Uh, to you-know-who. Hitler. Yes. And when you walk in, the presence is so strong that the power, you feel the power. Thank you, Pavel. That, that is Pavel, who is in Canada. He's up in, uh, in the Edmonton area, I believe. And Pavel is a Nazi. And he really is a Nazi. And uh, he was talking about what he does now. And his shrine, uh, I don't have to be there to imagine what it is like. And I can easily imagine that it imparts the exact feeling that he was just talking about. Eerie. Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air. Good morning. Morning, Mr. Bell, calling from Albuquerque. Albuquerque, yes, sir. Uh, just a real quick story, not quite as heavy as most of them, but I guess I was about two years old. My my father told me about this. Uh, uh, I had a favorite uncle, and I I can't really remember his name right now because again I was two years old. But we'll just call him Uncle Joe. So uh, I guess out of the clear blue sky one day, I just I wanted to go see Uncle Joe, and they said, No, no, it's too far away. It's about a hundred mile drive or something. And this was back in the fifties, and. Uh, and I guess I had a fit, according to my father, and I just had to go see Uncle Joe, you know. So they decided that weekend to go see Uncle Joe, so we went up there and had a nice visit. And then a couple weeks later, he died, you know. So so then, uh, you know, this that, that uh, a short time later, say a couple months later, I wanted to go see another relative. My, and, of course, they didn't die, but my dad said he just about, they just about went crazy because they were afraid that something was going to go wrong with this role. In other words, they, they figured that you, you had some precognitive... Yeah, they said after the first time, they figured they were, they were afraid of picking up anybody's name, so it's just a short little story. Oh, I, well, I appreciate it. Get off the air because you've got a lot of good stories. I don't want to... Yeah, they've been some, there really have been some tremendous... Excellent stories. show. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, I want to go see Uncle So-and-so. Quickly, call and tell him to stay in bed today. <laughs> I don't think it works like that, though. Do you? I think that things that are going to happen, happen. Don't you? Or do you think that, uh, that with the help of somebody who's been around before, some things that might happen otherwise would not or can be avoided? Like the lady with the story about the brakes. Line three, you're on the air. Hello, line three. No, you're not. Wild card line three, you're on the air. Card. Yes. I'm calling from Anchorage, Alaska. Welcome to the program. All right. Um, I had a. I was wanting to tell you a little story here that happened to me about three years ago. All right. Go right ahead. All right. Um, I was um, living. I was staying with some friends, and um, my mom lives up here in Anchorage, or in King Salmon, and um, she was telling me that she had a, a bad dream or whatever about me um, getting in a wreck over the weekend, and I was like, well, you know, just just you know, shrugged it off or whatever, and didn't think about it, and um, sure enough, the weekend came around, and I uh, got in a really serious motorcycle wreck. Oh. And I uh, was in the hospital for a long time and everything, and uh, um, she uh, was in the hospital, and she was like, you know, she just couldn't believe that it actually happened or whatever, and she was sitting there trying to explain to me what had, uh, what really had went on that night that she had the bad dream, and she said that uh, someone had actually came to her that night while she was asleep or whatever and, and woke her up. She didn't know who it was, no face or nothing or any kind of, and um, told him, told my mother that I was going to die on, at the end of the week. Really? And uh, and she told me I was just supposed to get in a wreck or whatever, just try to be careful, and she didn't tell me I was going to die, she just told me I was going to get in a wreck, and uh, she, and she said so she was like, tell me what. Why, why, if she would tell you that, I'm curious, if she would tell you, be careful or you're going to be in a wreck. Uh, and she would go to all that trouble to caution you about that, why wouldn't she give you the original message and try to warn you away or try to change what was to be? Um, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm just assuming she didn't probably want to worry me or scare me or whatever because, see, she's had these... Uh, I'm not saying she's psychic or nothing, but she'd done the same thing to her real father. Her real father was really dead, deadly sick down in Florida, and... Uh, no one knew anything about her, so she called down and talked to one of her sisters to go tell him to check on her, check on him. And uh, sure enough, he went there. She went. They went to check out, check him out, and everything. And he was. Uh, they found him on the floor, you know, and he was. He was not in the greatest health or whatever. And it's just been a couple of weird coincidences, or just something has. Definite. She's definitely got some sort of weird power. Not power, but a. Uh, just some sort of gift, I guess, or something. I take it any similar caution given now, you would really... Uh... <laughs> Most definitely, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for the call. All right. You take care from the state of Alaska. Line one, you're on the air. Oh, it's me? It's you. Oh, hi. Um, hi my name's Don. I'm a first-time caller. Hi, Don. And uh, I'm coming from Vegas. I used to live out there in Pahrump, and, uh, and... Well, I have two quick stories, and both of them happened while I was living out there. All right, go right ahead. It is a strange place. Yeah. Uh, well, one of them, the first first one uh, is I was dating this girl in St. George, and uh, I happened to be there late for one weekend, and I had to be back in Pahrump for, a, uh, for work the next morning. But I was there too late, so I stayed the night at her house. 
in uh, their guest bedroom. And I had I had already gone to sleep. You know, the doors were shut and the lights were off and everything. Right. And uh, for some reason, I woke up and I looked towards the door and uh, I could see, I don't know, three, four or five people looking in at me. So I rubbed my eyes and I thought, you know, I was seeing something. And after I rubbed my eyes, I saw someone standing next to me in the bed. Hmm. And uh, and you know how you can see, uh, in a, even though it's dark, you can still kind of see him. Yes. He had, uh, I could tell he was blonde. And and I was, I was about to say, say something to him, ask him what he's doing. Because it didn't appear to me that he might be a spirit. Yes. And just before I started to talk, he proceeded to fall on top of me. And, and I jumped back and... So you felt the physical presence? No, I didn't feel it. I jumped back because I thought someone was uh, going to fall on top of me. And uh, as soon as he was about to fall on top of me, he disappeared. <laughs> and uh, and that was in Perump? No, that was in uh, St. George. All right, and now you've got a story about Perump. Yeah, um, I used to play football out there in Perump. Uh, I graduated in 82... I think I was a junior at the time. All right, listen. Hold on. I'm going to put you on hold. I'm going to do a newscast, and I'm going to come right back to you. Okay. All right, stay right there. And he's got a story about my hometown, Little Pahrump, Nevada, which I'm sure in large numbers is listening this morning. So all of you out in Pahrump, uh, get ready, because here comes, here comes a story that comes from uh, right there in town. It is a very odd place, and in Pahrump, Nevada, which is Nye County, there are brothels, for it is a legal business there. And in one of those brothels, there has for years and years and years been a ghost named Harold. We'll be back. Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. This program originally aired October 30th, 1993. Please do not call. 
Once again, here I am. Hi, everybody. What a what a program this morning, huh? And it's all um, it's all you. Thank you very much for um, a very 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 unnerving, uh, entertaining, provoking evening. We're telling ghost stories, real ghost stories. If you have one, feel free to join us. If you don't, sit back and listen. Turn out the lights if you dare, and the radio up. And uh, you may well, well may want to tell us as the morning wears on how you're doing. Line one, you're back on the air again. Okay. Um, and now, Pahrump, Nevada. Yeah. Uh, I, pl- I was playing football for him, and uh, I think I was a junior, and uh, we had an away game. So I was on the varsity bus, and my sister was on the junior varsity bus. And uh, for some reason, the junior, har- junior varsity bus got way behind us. And uh, so we showed up at the high school, and I had the car with me. And uh, so I decided to just stay there and wait for my sister with the car. And uh, after everybody had left, um, I got in the car, and I laid the seat back just to go to sleep. And uh, then next thing I noticed, the bus, the JV bus came, and I could see people walking out. I could hear the voices. I recognized the voices. Then I woke up and looked out, and nothing was there. Oh. Uh, I didn't think much of it because, you know, I just thought, oh, I'm just dreaming. Dreaming, yeah. I went back to sleep, and uh, I saw the exact same thing again. I saw the bus. Saw the people getting out of the bus, heard the voices, and but this time I knew I was dreaming, and and I tried to wake up, and and I had a hard time, uh, but finally I I woke myself up, looked out, and there was nothing there. Uh, so then I decided to go back to sleep. You know that was a little scary, but but I went back to sleep, and I saw the exact same thing. Only this time, I saw my sister walk up to the side of the car she had one of her friends with her and she was asking to be let in and this time and I knew I was dreaming again uh, but this time I had a real hard time waking up and uh, finally I had to scream just to wake up and but and that time I decided I'm getting out of here and so I just went home and decided to wait for the phone call at home and uh and I've grown up in I've grown up in the country, so you know, being out out in the country alone at night never really bothered me. But this really did. And uh, I understand. I I think it odd that you knew you were in a dream. I've never had that experience. My dreams have always been as reality until I woke up and knew. <laughs> you know, when you wake up, you know, you had a dream, right? Uh huh. But I never knew. I've never known in a dream that I was dreaming. That's odd. And I lived about a half a mile from one of those houses of ill repute that you talk about. So you know how far I had to drive home from I, high I, I do. I thank you for the call. All right, thanks. And, uh, yes, indeed, I know the area. Good morning on our Oh, uh, you would have been. Wild card line three. Instead, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Um, I have a, a little story. Uh, this goes back to... Excuse me, about uh, uh, the early 70s. Where where are you? I'm I'm calling from uh, uh, Linwood, Washington. All right. AVI. My name's yes. Tom. Um, I was traveling across Nevada uh, from Idaho uh, 
down to California, mm-hmm. and it was early in the morning, and I was outside of Winnemucca uh, about uh, 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and I was by myself, and uh, uh, oh, I'm out of breath. Okay. Um, as, uh, as I was driving along, uh, it was out in the desert area, and there was absolutely virtually uninhabited. Right. And a car came up behind me with uh, two inhabitants, who uh, uh, they they started following right on my bumper, and I became concerned because it it became apparent that they had they were really interested in getting me stopped, and they would pull up alongside and and uh, motion me over and and things like that. Mm. And I I I was afraid that uh, uh, you know I was afraid they were going to to uh, assault you, rob you, whatever. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. That'd be natural. So uh, as we went along. This this played out for for uh, several miles, and and they kept motioning for me to, to pull over, and, and they they come up alongside, and and I became quite fearful. Well, the uh, oddest thing happened. I had a flat tire, and I could feel the the car start to sway. Sure. And and I pulled up to a stop, and off to the right was a uh, a house, and. Uh, these, this car pulled up along and, and, and stopped behind me, and I didn't know what to do. I was afraid to get out. And somebody came out of this house to a pickup that, that was running. I mean, this was the only house in the area. There was nothing else around. Right. And he walked out, and he looked. And one of the people in the car pointed to this guy, and then they, they went ahead and pulled on by me and, and took off. So I got out, and, and I looked at the man, and he, he was doing something around the pickup. And uh, so I went ahead and, and got my tire out and changed it and, and went on my way. Well, uh, this, this left, you know, it made me quite fearful. Yes. Well, uh, on the way back from, from uh, California back to Idaho, I looked for this, this place. Uh, I wanted to stop, and it, it left such a, a mark on me psychologically. Sure. Uh, I found the place. It was totally un- uninhabited. No windows, no doors. <laughs> just a little shack. Yes. And what do you think happened to you? I mean, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I honestly feel that that something uh, wanted, something kept me from being harmed. Something wanted to warn you. Yes. It, it, well, that's, it's that's, these two guys away is what happened. That's quite a story. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Good morning. On our first time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Yeah, uh, good morning. Uh, <clears throat> where Where are you, sir? I'm in Reno. Reno. I am. My name's John. I'm from, uh, well, actually, I'm in Sparks. I've been listening to your uh, show on uh, spooks and goblins here. And let me turn down this radio. No, uh, just Reno. actually turn it off all the way. Just extinguish it. There, it's out. Right. And uh, I got an interesting story. Um, my wife used to, or my ex-wife used to dabble with uh, Ouija boards and mm. what have you. And I understand exactly how you feel. I can hear it in your voice. But uh, we were horsing around with it one night, and uh, the following weekend, I'd gone out fishing with a friend of mine and came back. Later that evening, and uh, we watched TV for a while, and then we went to bed, I guess about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. 
And uh, the back door of the house and the front door of the house were in line with each other. And uh, our bedroom was at the other end of the house. Right. <laughs> and I was just dozing off, and I swore I heard the back door open. And somebody in heavy boots closed the door and walked through my kitchen. Mm-hmm. I went to my dresser drawer, and I grabbed my 9 millimeter and I took it out, and I'm standing in the hallway thinking, God, I hope I don't have to do this. I got locked and loaded, and I swung out into the hallway, and there was just enough residual light in the living room where I could see the silhouette of this individual, about six foot three, pretty stocky person. And I uh, uttered some explicatives, deleted, and told him to freeze right where he was, or I was going to dump him. And you remember the old window shades where you take and you pull them down, you let them go, and they just go up and spin around? Very well, yes. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened to this silhouette. Oh, you're straight up. Really? Just like a window? Just just like the old window shades. It just went straight up and vanished. And uh, that was a very puckering experience, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean. And uh, I'll never forget it. That uh, uh, We had other interesting happenings in that house, too. We had clocks that would mysteriously just slide off the shelf and drop onto the floor for no reason at all. Uh, well, this has been sphincter tightening enough for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is <laughs> oh, a really great show. I want to get off the air and, li- and listen some more. All right. Thank you. Have a good morning. Oh, boy. That's pretty descriptive, like a window. <laughs> like that. That's the kind of thing that will put you on your knees for a while. Line three, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Art. This is Chris in Carson City. Hi, Chris. Um. I'm calling, this is a story that my brother told All right. to me, All right. and I have no doubt that it's true. He, he doesn't engage in lying, but my brother was taking a nap. First of all, my father passed away in June of 91, and he had a very sudden heart attack. I mean, I had dinner with him an hour before, and he was perfectly fine. We were joking. and People always say that he was fine. He was, and, and we were joking about a local casino. There were I like, and he didn't. He was saying, well, if I go in there to cash a check with you, I've got to take a shower because it's so greasy, you know. And he, he was just joking. Yeah. And it was very sudden. Nobody was expecting it. He died very quickly in, in his rocking chair in a candy bar. And about six months later, my brother was taking a nap. He worked graveyard, and he had to sleep during the day. And he had somebody watching his children in the, in the other room. Well, in his dream, he heard a phone ring. Now, he has no phone in his bedroom. Mm. In his dream, he heard the phone ring, and he picks up the phone, and it's my father on the other end of the line. Now, my father was a compulsive gambler, and I think one of the things that killed him was the stress of having gambled away everything that he and my mom had. Guilt. And my brother said that he heard casino noises in the background. And the noises of slot machines, and he could tell that, that uh-huh. my father was calling from a casino. Yes. He said, I, have, I, I need to talk to you, and I need to make it quick. I've gambled away all my prayers, or I, I've, I've cashed in all my prayers to make this call to you. And apparently, the way my dad said, he said, the, the way my dad had it, people pray for you, and the prayers are part of the economy of this place where he was. And as many prayers as people prayed for you, that was the things that you could do and he was using all his prayers to make this call and he said I have a message for you he said 
you are going, he says, you're going to die within a year. But that's not the message. I have a more important message that I really need to get to you. And before he could get the message to my brother, the phone went dead. And my brother woke up. But he came out of the room and he didn't think much about it except that it was a dream and the stress of my father having passed away. Mm-hmm. And my little niece came in and said, Daddy, who called you and why is there a phone in your room? <laughs> and now it's been two years, my brother isn't dead. And so <clears throat> I kind of discounted the whole thing. Except that my mom said that there are, there are different ways of dying. Now when my dad died, my brother was always dependent on my dad for everything and never really could hold a job, never really could do anything. As soon as my dad died, my brother started going to college, he started getting work, getting a job. Doing all the things that had your dad lived, he would want to, it would have wanted him to. I think that my dad was saying that, hey, the old Dan is going to die in a year. There's going to be somebody, there's going to be a new Dan. That's the way I see it, that there's a response, there's a totally different man, responsible, taking, taking responsibility in his life, doing the things in his life that he should be doing. I've got you. I've got Would to like go. to know, though, what the other message was. I can imagine. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the story. And a good one it was. Now, there's lots of ways to die. Line one, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. This is... This is Joyce Button from Toppenish, Washington. Hi, Joyce. How are you doing this morning? Fine. Just fine. Good. Oh, well, first off, I wanted to tell you that I'm an Indian woman, and I really can identify with some of the things your callers have been saying. Um, but I wanted to talk about Uncle Joe. <laughs> Uncle Joe. <laughs> if you can remember that fellow. Um, oh, I do very well, yes. Okay. I was married in 1977 to a man that... Um, well, they have a long, a long book. I guess it dates back years and years ago, and really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to what was going on in his life. But being an Indian woman, there's a lot of spirituality in my own family line. But um, I thought it was really strange is how both of us kind of came together, and a lot of really weird things were happening in our life. Of course, we're not married anymore, thank God. But at the time, I didn't really understand. What was going on with him? Um, but <clears throat> looking back on it, I, I'm kind of scared that if I ever see him again, it'll be right before I die. Um, because that fellow said, "Well, I got to go see Uncle Joe." Um, everywhere he went, and I know that his family—they were older—but he would go like to see, you know, he'd want to go see his aunt or his uncle or whatever, and. Right before he got there, they'd already be gone. And the same thing happened with the teacher that... It would be just a sudden impulse. He didn't have these frequently, uh, right? But when he did have them, somebody actually died? Right. And um, I really wasn't paying it a whole lot of attention, you know, what was going on, until um, my foster father, who I was real close to, was he had a terminal illness, and we all knew he was going to pass away. He was dying of cancer over on Woodby Island and and I went over there and I said hey I've got to go I've got to get ready right now and I threw my things together and took off and and I had this vision one of the first visions I've had and I've had quite a few since but there was this um, airplane it looked like a tiny toy airplane and these um, three huge angels behind it 
and then you could see inside this airplane and these passengers but this one passenger I couldn't see their face and it was a like a real tiny airplane and he was wearing a gray jacket <clears throat> well my husband had had to work overtime and said that he couldn't go uh, to see my father and they were real close well he came so there was a knock at the door and I looked out and there he was and I really didn't think anything of it and I opened up the door and there was this terrible feeling of death that just went right through me and my foster brother who was a nurse literally ran down the hall and he said don't let me get him ready for you first and I just got terrified and I took a look at his face and I said well, let's go across the street and hmm. see the kids because they were staying at the neighbors and halfway through the clearing I felt my father die and I just felt so horrible when I felt his spirit, you know, just leave. And, of course, I knew my dad was dead, and I went and tried to get him involved with, look, you know, seeing the children. When we got back, my mom was having a glass of high cherry wine. Dad had made, always made wine himself, and she looked right at my husband's face, and she just, just with hate in her eyes, and she said, well, he's dead, you know, like he had been the one to kill him. And all of a sudden, I remember that vision of that gray coat and I looked at my husband he was wearing that gray jacket and it was him he was coming you know in that oh, tiny boy. plane and that's how he had gotten there he had flown there uh, chartered a, a small plane to, to come into Woodville and taken a taxi and come to the house and all of a sudden all the pieces fit together and I looked back and I thought oh my god you know he told me that he was going down the hall right before his father died. Well, listen, we're out of time, but if ever a woman had reason not to see an ex, <laughs> uh, if you if you hear he's on the way to visit you, I'd grab the nearest passport and be headed out. I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Bye-bye. And uh, on while we're on the subject of airplanes, I have a very good friend that works for one of the major airlines in this country, maybe the biggest airline, actually. And uh, there are some planes, and I'm intentionally not going to tell you which airline it is. Actually, they've made movies about it. But because of the violent nature of airplane crashes, Companies that have been in the business for a very long time and have had crashes know planes are haunted. There are some uh, bone-chilling stories to be told about haunted airplanes. And because I don't want to compromise something that's been told to me, I'm not going to pass it on to you. I'm just going to say believe it. There are some airplanes that are uh, uh, that have more flying than just the paying passengers. Let me put it that way. Good morning. On the first time caller line, you're on the air. Uh, this is Alan from Birmingham, Alabama. Alan from Birmingham. Hi, Alan. How you doing? Still doing the stuff on the ghost stories? Oh, we sure are, Alan. All right. Well, I got one for you. All right. All right. Me and my best friend. We've ever since we've met, we've been having like strange occurrences happening when whenever we're around each other. Right. And you know, we could like think know what each other's thinking. If something happens to one of us, you know, the other knows about it and things like that. Sure. Well, he joined the army about two and a half years ago. Alan. Alan. 
Yeah. Uh, I have a break coming up right now. M might I ask that you hold through it so we can get your old story in? Okay. All right, good. Um, stay right where you are. That's Alan in Birmingham, Alabama. Back with us in a moment. Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. This program originally aired October 30th, 1993. Please do not call. Welcome back, everybody, to a night of, uh, well, she expressed it well. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Back to Birmingham, Alabama now. Good morning. You're back on the air. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, all right. Okay. So, me and my best friend Lance, it's like, you know, we always kind of have like sort of like the same dreams and stuff but we was always wondering how this happened and stuff so he got hurt while he was in basic training and he had a convalescence leave and i was living in huntsville at the time right and uh we was always wondering why this was happening and everything and one night about three o'clock in the morning all these dogs in the neighborhood started barking and you know we was wondering what was going on so we walked outside and looked around and couldn't see nothing. Also, we looked up in this tree, and there was these red glowing eyes. It was real freaky. Red glowing eyes? Yeah. Okay. And about that time, the dog shut up, and the whole neighborhood went black. We come found out the next day, all southeast Huntsville was in a blackout. And uh, all of a sudden, there was this white Bengal tiger, like a shadow, walked up in the yard. Yes. And um, all of a sudden it transformed in this man, he was Egyptian, and he said his name was Ptolemy, which I found out there was a real, uh, he was an Egyptian astrologer, a mathematician named Ptolemy, lived back in 300 A.D. or something like that. And he told us that uh, what he was, who he was and everything, and uh, that things like this would happen, and sooner or later he would tell us why and show us why and ever since then we like have dreams about him and everything and it's 
real weird because we'll like be dreaming. We'll, so he, in other words, he's never really left you. Right. It's like he said he'd be there to protect us and things like that. And Lance has had occurrences where he's protected him while he's been in Germany and everything. But one of the strangest ones was uh, last Christmas he was at home and uh, me and him was out uh, sitting in the living room and was going to uh, leave and go outside mm -hmm. down to his parents' house. And what happened is we went... I went to open the door, and as soon as I opened the door, it's like both me and him went flying back into the middle of the living room. The door shut, and about 20 seconds later, a car came by with a drive-by shooting. Oh. Well, well, that's quite a story. Yeah. It kind of freaked us both out. I understand, and I thank you for adding to the series of stories this morning. Yeah. But the thing about it is, is he's in Germany. I'm here. We've been both having real weird dreams lately, and I talked to him about four days ago. He's telling me about his dreams and the same ones I'm having. Well, maybe there's more to go to this story. Keep us informed, all right? All right. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Line two, you're on the air. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but not well. Let me see if I can... Make it better. Can you hear me now? Oh, much better, yes. Okay. Uh, what I'm going to tell you, I've never told anyone before. It's, uh, it started many years ago. Uh, I was born in 1949 mm -hmm. on, uh, in April. And April 5th, 1952, five days before my third birthday, my older brother died. Uh, the only memories I really have of him is him laying in his coffin. Uh, he was buried two days before my third birthday, and on my third birthday, he came back and talked to me. Now, I was a very little child, but I remember that very clearly. Since that time, and I'm 44 years old now, Every April 10th, no matter where I have been in this world, he always comes back and talks to me again. How? I mean, what form does he take? How does this happen? He, he looks exactly like he did the day he died. He looks like a four-year-old child. And he, it doesn't matter where I am. It's, I mean, when I was in Vietnam, it doesn't make any difference. All I have to do is be by myself for even just a few seconds. On my birthday, he always comes and talks to me, and he always tells me. He doesn't tell me anything that, you know, is really revealing anything. He just tells me if everything's going to be okay and not to worry about it. Um, how do you handle that? I mean, uh... Well, it's been, it's been ever since I was a little tiny child, so it's, it's, it's normal for me. I mean, I don't tell anybody about this. I wouldn't be telling you if it wasn't on the... What about your parents? What, what who I am. I know. What about your parents? As far as I know, they never have any. Nobody's like he always told me to not tell anybody. So I don't. I've never heard anybody else say anything about it. So I don't know. I just know that he talks to me every April tenth on my birthday. That's incredible. I I'll tell you. I sure I'm honored that you decided to tell us. Well, like I say, I wouldn't tell you if you could know who I am, because I... he told me not to tell anybody. But like this.
where you can't know who I am, it's okay. Thank you for the story. You're welcome. Good morning. Well, what do you think about that? Hmm? Sound credible to you? Sound like someone who was just calling to jerk our chain? I don't think so. Same way I feel about most all the calls we've had this morning. This has been very good. If you've listened to all this, I think that you've got to be sitting there wondering about all this. Hi there. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. No, you're, uh, are you there? Last chance. Yes. You are. Where are you, sir? I'm calling from Denver. Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the program. Um, probably uh, uh, one thing about the uh, the ghost story thing. I I was hardly ever a believer. Uh, being a growing up as a Christian, I um, really uh, was was for the most part taught not to believe in that. Um, however, uh, back in 1984, I was. Uh, dating a lady and uh, she had told me that through some friends of the family she had the opportunity to um, go out to an old farmhouse um, south of the uh, Denver area and there was an opportunity for her to um, pick up some old leaded glass and light fixtures and some chandeliers from an old farmhouse that um, uh, was on the property out there, so I agreed to uh, go out there uh, with her. We had uh, uh, gone to the old boarded-up farmhouse, and bear in mind, all of the the windows and the doors had been boarded over with two by fours. And uh, I went to the uh, front door. She was standing in the car. It was oh, I think probably about zero out, and this was uh, the first part of November. But uh, we had uh, got inside the house and uh, went in there, and we were looking around at the different ornate fixtures that were in the home. And I looked into the kitchen, and I thought I could see a little boy about oh, four or five years old. And I, I looked over there, and for, for a brief second, I was sure that I thought I saw a little boy there. Mm -hmm. And it, it just came and went. And I didn't think at the time. I thought, well, maybe I was just imagining it. Well, um, another five minutes went by, and we were walking through there, and I looked over to Shelly, and I said, you know, I thought I saw a little boy in here. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. You're, you know, you're dreaming, this, that, and the other. And uh, I walked into another adjoining room where the chandelier was, and uh, had grabbed a little step stool and was getting ready to get up on that. And Shelly let out this blood-curdling scream and came running in and she said there's a little boy in here <laughs> and I said I, I I thought I saw something too so we we walked around uh, on the bottom floor of the old farmhouse and I said if, if you'll be real quiet if we could hear him running through here you know, we might be able to, to grab him and find out what, what's going on because if these temperatures, the little guy's going to freeze to death in here. Mm -hmm. um, 
we we searched through the house, uh, the, the stairway. Um, I was standing by the stairway to the second floor, so I know that nobody could have walked past me. And um, we we just decided at that time that uh, maybe we both saw something or uh, possibly a cupboard door or something caused shadow. Mutual hallucination, something. Apparently, and we didn't think too much about it at that time. Well, um, I had taken the fixture down and uh, had deglazed some um, cabinet doors that had the beveled glass in it. And we went outside, and I ran into a friend of mine who works for the power company. And uh, he had saw my rig out there, and um, he was sitting out in his pickup making a radio call. And when we walked out there and got in our rig, he said uh, he didn't know if Shelly was my wife or not. I hadn't seen him for a while. All right, we're almost out of time here. I'll, I'll speed it up. Um, anyway... Uh, we had left and gone up to the, um, uh, the the new home that was built on this farm. It was built in about the 60s. We went up there to thank the people and got to meet the matriarch of the family, and her name was Grandma Ann. Wonderful lady. We went in there. Uh, we spoke with the people, and we said thank you for letting us have those fixtures. Uh, Shelley had walked in there to where... Um, uh, her grandmother's little, I guess, room, bedroom, you would call it, next to a den. And we looked down and we saw a little picture of the boy and two girls. Oh, boy. All right, I've got to hold it there. Thank you. Uh, so there was the boy. There there was the boy. Uh, that's an incredible story. People coming back. People never leaving. People who die, whose spirits remain here for some troubling reason, usually troubling. What a remarkable string of stories this morning. Good morning. On our first time caller line, you're on the air. From where are you calling, please? I'm calling from Seattle, KBI. Seattle, yes, sir. Um... This happened about 11 years ago. I had a girlfriend who had been killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. She had died on, she had gotten in the accident on August 18th, and on August 20th, she had been pronounced dead two months before her 20th birthday. Mm. On Halloween night exactly, there was a party at the house where she had used to live. Um, Everyone had to, her roommates had decided to have a party um, to try and get over the grieving process and whatnot. Yes. We had hired a band out of Everett, and I was over at the house to let the band in. And the band that had came, nobody knew about Lisa that had died. And the head singer for the band had gone into the bathroom back by Lisa's bedroom. It was a female with dark hair. Lisa had had red hair. She was in the bathroom combing her hair, and she let out a scream like I have never heard before in my life. I went running back there, and she's standing there in the mirror, just white as could be. And she looked at me, and she said, somebody has died here. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, I looked into the mirror, and it wasn't my face. Uh -huh. And then she said, I had, she described Lisa right to a T. And she walked out of the bathroom and turned and looked right at Lisa's room and said, that's her room. 
Well, the first thing I thought was that these people were trying to play a very sick joke and got together with a couple other people and were talking about it and this girl from the band kept wanting to leave. And before she had gone into the bathroom, she had been so excited about playing this gig. Later in the evening, I was standing in Lisa's bedroom talking to somebody and I looked into the window and saw her reflection from behind me and heard her voice asking me to leave. And I left the party, and then later that night, over $10,000 damage was done to that house by people getting out of hand. And I, wow. I just really believe, and you know, just sitting here recalling it, I get the shakes like I did that night. And I just really believe that she had came back not wanting people sitting there getting drunk. I'm kind of curious about something. How has this affected... Uh, your spiritual uh, life uh, since that time what what's your belief system like I mean are you now absolutely convinced that there is another life oh yes um, I've, I've been convinced when I was a child my parents um, owned a mobile home and they had always told us that this mobile home was haunted and have always told this story and we always thought they were kidding with us trying to scare us and whatnot and until this happened I really didn't believe it, and, um, you know, I, I still get the shakes. I'm sitting here shaking now, thinking about it. Hearing these other stories must be uh, a very reinforcing experience for you. Uh, yes, it is. Thank you for the call. Thank you. And good morning. And if you're just joining us, welcome to the program. We're telling ghost stories, real ones. The place where Halloween is really occurring right here it's called coast to coast am good morning line three you're on the air hi art hello uh, some incredible stories tonight this is margaret at uh, grants pass oregon but anyway my, my story dates back to 1945 and uh, my the, age... the the year of my birth i might have oh, oh you that old oh my goodness <laughs> oh, well, i'm 71 <laughs> are you that old yeah <laughs> oh my goodness Yes. Any, anyway, my husband had had uh, uh, commando training. I knew he was going into uh, battle in the Navy and uh, advanced echelon, uh, and and I I was just worried sick over him when he left because uh, I didn't know where he was going, what was happening, and everything, you know. And I sure I, I went with a friend of mine down to Alvera Street. And uh, I didn't. I don't believe in fortune telling or anything. I, well, maybe I do a little bit now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, then uh, we we went into this fortune teller, and uh, she was listening to uh, a young girl who who was there with a sailor, and uh, and uh, after she was through, uh, I said, "Well, I didn't want to rush her or anything, you know." And she says, "Well, that's okay. She all she wanted was." Uh, find out whether the boy liked her or something like that you know sure so then uh i told her you know that i was worried about my husband and we had only been married a short time and and she said uh, not to worry about him to take care of myself that uh that he would be just fine but just take care of myself you know so i i, I didn't think too much of it but sometime later i uh 
went by myself to an elderly man in Maywood, in, in southeast uh, L.A., and and he he was a fortune teller, and uh, he, after he told me that uh, he was going to be just fine and I should take care of myself, then he called me all the way up, out to the car kept telling me, now, you watch out, you, you take care of yourself. Well, how come you didn't turn around and say, why? I mean, what's going to happen to me? I'd, I'd, I think I'd have to ask. Yeah, well, I just didn't believe in fortune tellers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just, yeah, uh, but I mean, we're talking same message, two tellers. Yeah, that's right, but I didn't link them together. Really. All right, we don't have a lot of time, so what happened? Well, what happened was that uh, VJ, uh, they came, and he was just fine, and... Uh, and in uh, and uh, everything was going great. And in October, um, I had a dream that that uh, this factory I worked at, uh, I was up up on a mountain and I was looking down and 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 there was a big explosion. And I rushed down there and there was one guy sitting there and he said, uh, everybody got got killed but me. Oh. And uh, about a week later, I was involved in an. And I was the only one that was hurt. And I was in the hospital, and uh, the uh, I think the first day they had a horrible heat streak, and I I uh, I asked God. I said, "Please let me die. This heat is terrible because they." They, all the good hospitals were filled up, and this was... All right, we're about to not be able to continue, so I'm, I'm going to have to say we'll hold it there. Call me next hour if you can get through. Thank you. I'm sorry, but that's the end of the time. But not the end of the program, by any means. The place where Halloween is really occurring, right here. It's called Coast to Coast AM. An old cowboy was riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw Plowing through the ragged skies And up the cloudy draw Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel their horns were black and shiny, and their hot breath he could feel.
Coast to Coast AM archives, you're listening to the best of Art Bell. This program was originally broadcast October 30th, 1993. Art will be live tomorrow night for his annual Ghost to Ghost AM show. If you have a story for us, come on ahead. We've only got one more hour of it, and this is it. Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I kind of like to share a story, of, well, three stories if I have the time. All right. Where are you? Where are you, please? I'm in Little Lake, California. Little Lake, California. All right. Go ahead. The uh, first uh, time that I ever had some sort of strange experience, I was lying in my bed with my eyes closed, and I could see these faces floating through my room. And they were a lot like the faces out of the death pits of the concentration camps. They were hollow-eyed and gaping mouths. And at first I was kind of... uh, Oh, uh, mystified by it, and it seemed like minutes, but I'm sure it was only seconds. And I thought to myself, well, if you're here for good, you can stay. If not, if you're here for no goodness, go. Go now. And immediately the faces disappeared. The other story, um, my husband was in the Pacific and uh, he was fighting the Japanese. And there was a young Marine that came back across the no-man's land, and the Japanese were shooting everything they had, and, and when he got to the other, uh, to, to their lines, um, he was riddled with bullet holes from his waist down. His legs were, all his bones and his legs were shattered. And whenever the... Um, Chaplain asked how he got there. He only replied, my father brought me back. My father brought me back. And whenever it come uh, to find out, the I, th- I think the um, Yank Magazine wrote it up uh, in um, the fact that the chaplain found out that uh, the father had died in the Battle of Aragon or some other battle. The third one was... Uh, Oh, a couple years ago here at my home, um, we had these footsteps constantly, uh, oh, maybe two or three times a month out across the patio and uh, wooden deck. And my husband was out in the workshop working one day, and and um, well, each time we'd hear these footsteps, we'd check them out. There would be nothing there. And this particular night, he was working out in the workshop, and... He thought I'd called him, and, and I says no. And he went on back to what he was doing, and suddenly a hammer flew across the workshop and just missed him by fractions, and there wasn't a soul nowhere. Wow. And, uh, we have no idea how the hammer or who threw the hammer, but it went across the shop nevertheless. Unmistakable message, nevertheless. Nevertheless. <laughs> Thank you very much for your call. Mm-hmm. And adding to our list of uh, incredible stories this morning. Some of these have been truly incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down and listen to a tape of this program myself. We'll be right back. Good morning. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, where are you, ma'am? Spokane, Washington. Spokane. This is back in the 50s. Oh, gosh, we'd like to turn this darn heater down. 
be right back. Oh, that's quite all right. Go ahead. Um, we have no open lines right now. When we do, you know the numbers. Pick one and uh, and call it. Hold up here. Yes. Um, back in the 50s, my husband and I had, uh, he was a hard rock miner uh, up here in Washington State, and uh, I had gone down to California, and I tried to talk him into coming down there and get a job in the shipyard, which he used to work in, and got that all arranged, and I had him... Uh, a little, uh, just a one little apartment, and I went and got a uh, had a lease on a lease option to buy on a place, and I transferred my mail over to a little mailing thing. Well, he called me up and said he would be down in a couple of days, mm-hmm. so I was busy from one place to the other and so forth. I'm driving down Vermont Avenue, and uh, I look in the rearview mirror, and there he is in a black sedan with another guy driving, and he smiled and waved at me, and I thought, oh, that son of a gun, he got here two days early. <laughs> I drove on home, and got everything ready, made a pot of coffee and everything. He didn't show up, didn't show up, and I had to go over to the other house. I left a note on the door, went over to care of the apartment that I was going to uh, rent with option to buy, and so forth. It was a duplex. Right. It paid for itself and everything because the beauty operator was in the other half. And I was real proud of that. Went back home, didn't hear anything. About four days later, I got a letter in this little mail office. The girl called me and said, you've got a letter from uh, a poem. And I went over picked it up, and he had written to me. And a couple of days later, I got a telegram that he had been killed the day after I saw him in the car. Oh, gee. I have never remarried. It was such a blow. I just, I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, he was killed. And he had sold the house. He had sold our furniture. He had packed up things to ship and everything. And he was killed the day before he was supposed to work one shift and leave and the next morning, and he was killed. And so as a result, you have never remarried? No. It was too much. I understand. And I really appreciate your taking the trouble to call us. Thank you. Take care. Hmm. Line three, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello. How are, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, I had a, an incident happen about four years ago. I went to my mother's house, and my mother has her grandmother. At the time, was her mother was living with her, and she was approximately about 90 years old, and um, v- pretty well bedridden. I mean, she couldn't get out past the kitchen. Sure. And uh, we went to dinner. I just happened to stop by and see her, and she said, let's go to dinner. And I said, fine. So before we left, she always keeps the windows locked. We always locked the doors. I mean, that was just one of her pet peeves. And we went to dinner. It was about 20 minutes away from where we were at. And we were at dinner. We were talking, and we were, I never really got to know much about my grandmother. And I had said something about, well, what was my grandfather like? And we talked, and she said he was real mean and vindictive to your grandmother, and that was one of the main reasons why they divorced. And he died, he was an alcoholic, and he passed away so many years before this. So, I mean, we went into other conversations, and at the end of the evening, we went back to the house. We came out, went to the back door, and in my mom's bathroom, which is at the other end of the house, there would have been no way my grandmother could have got, because she had a wheelchair to the kitchen, that was as far as she could go, because she right. was in a trailer house. Right. And we got to the back bathroom, and I, had, I happened to go in first. 
And I walked in, and I was just about to shut the door, and just something told me, don't shut the door all the way. I looked up, and on the inside of the door, she had one of those lengthway mirrors of the door length. Oh, yes. It had been, been lifted up past the doorway, and then it was like about two feet above the doorway, and it had been tightened all the way. And it, had like a, it probably had about 12 or 13 of those latches you screw in and tighten. Right. Every one of the latches was completely tight because I just completely went over this thing. There was no forced entry. There was there was nobody had a key. The only people that have a key to that house is my mom and my dad, and he lived up in Ely. And I just this chill just ran down my back because <laughs> if anybody was to break into the house, I mean there's been just no godly reason why they would just raise this mirror up and tighten it down like they did. And I told her to come in. I says, were you messing with the mirror earlier this afternoon? She said, no, I, I've never messed with the mirror. And she looked in, and her face just turned white. And, I mean, it was just really weird. And we went in to check on my grandma to make sure she was all right. And she was in the other room. Just, she was just muttering my grandfather's name, just kept muttering. I mean, she never really ever talks about him. And she just kept muttering. I mean, she didn't say but just kept saying his name over and over and over again. And, I mean, after that, I mean, I've, I've heard stories and stuff, and I used to be skeptic about it, but never, never again. I mean, to this day, when we took the mirror off the next day, I mean, she didn't even want the mirror in the house. I took it to the dump and got rid of it. But, I mean, that is that is probably one of the weirdest things I've ever, ever had happen to me or to her, for that matter. Well, you've told that story on the right morning, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care. And I just, I know... That a lot of you sitting out there listening to all of this this morning have got to be going through some changes because I sure am. These aren't nuts. These people are literate, obviously well educated, articulate, young, old, middle aged. That last caller was just another example. How can you ignore it? Good morning. On our first-time caller line, you're uh, on the air. Hello, Art. Hi. Hi, this is John calling from Fairbanks, Alaska. Hi, John, all the way from Fairbanks. Yes, um, I want to know if perhaps you're having some poltergeist in your radio feeds tonight. I hope not. Why do you ask? I don't know if any other callers have picked this up, if it's in one of your network feeds or what, but uh, periodically, starting with your first hour through your second, third hour, every so often I'd hear... A background noise. It sounded like a duck quacking. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <this laughs> come on. I'm recording your program, and there are quacking ducks. There's poltergeist or something on your program. I'm, I'm sure other listeners. Uh, do you have Do you have the tape there? I, I have the tape going right now. Look, oh, well, you have it going now to record your own call. Exactly. Can, can I turned everything way down, but hopefully I can still record it. But um, periodic. All right. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Okay. I'm going to terminate this conversation with you now. Mm-hmm. And what I want you to do is cue your recorder to where you've got that on tape. Okay. And call me back and play it. Okay. Can you? Will you do that? Um, tonight? Tonight. Okay, I'll try because it's been probably an hour since I've heard it, but I'll try to get it for if you. you. If you can do it, call me back on the same line. Okay. All right. Okay, I'll try to do that because I wanted to share a couple stories with you. Well, if you, if you want to do all right, fine. Uh, go ahead and share. You've got time to share one now. Go ahead. I'll try to do that. But um, when I went to uh, school, I went to school with this boy, and he had a pretty rough life. He lost one brother in the eighth grade due to some childhood illness, and then uh, a brother that was a couple years older than him went to Vietnam. 
and he was killed when he was um, a gunner on board a helicopter, and he was killed in action in Vietnam, and he uh, led a fairly unhappy life, and we uh, parted ways, and I joined the Air Force, and, and I uh, ended up in Alaska, and I was uh, stationed at Isleson Air Force Base, and um, one night he came to me in a dream, and, and he was very sad in the dream, and, and he was um, crying. And he and he expressed to me in a dream that he was he'd been hurt badly and he just had a car wreck, and I just thought it was a dream. And um, and a few days later, I received a letter from my mom and a newspaper clipping that he'd been killed in a car wreck. Oh boy! And, All right, and well, it was for more than a coincidence. I understand. All right, look, let's hold it here. Call me back with that tape. <laughs> Line three, you're on the air. Yeah. Um. Actually, I have a ghost story that I'm still trying to resolve now. I'm trying to find out who the ghost is. However, it's kind of a mundane ghost story. You mean this is going on now? Yeah, at where I work. All right. Like, it's, it's real mundane. He just walks through the place and doesn't bother anyone. But when, um, when I lived in Santa Barbara, my father was a pastor of a church. And he was a part-time pastor of a church, couldn't, a small church, couldn't afford to pay him. Part, part of his compensation was is we lived in some apartments in the second story of the church. Mm-hmm. This building was built at the oh, late 19th century. So when we were living there, maybe had 90 years on it. Sure. Um, very old, very oppressive building. Um, everyone I know who lived there was terrified, I mean literally terrified, to go downstairs when it was dark. Yeah, uh, you know, it just—it was my job, for instance, to go turn on the lights in the morning. Mm-hmm. Since Sunday morning, I had to go turn. My dad, Gee. many years later, said, "Well, I didn't want your sisters doing that." You know, why do I have to? Well, right. Lucky you. Yeah. Well, I—I I swear, that we go down in the dark, and there was something there. I just there was something there. I knew it. I found out I'm not the only one who felt that way. There were some people we knew who lived there after we did. Everyone in that family refused to go downstairs when it was dark. Any time somebody went down there, they knew something was there. <laughs> well, we later found out someone had committed suicide in that church. Yeah, there you go. Very Many years earlier, someone committed suicide in that church. One of the people who lived there, he was a member of the church, he lived there the same time we did. Mm-hmm. He, very nice guy. It turned out, this happened just a few years ago, this man murdered his, I mean, he just flipped out, and he murdered his mother and his father. Hmm. And he'd lived in that church for for years, and I don't know if it's connected, but he had flipped out, he murdered his mother and his father. It absolutely wouldn't surprise me. That made, and it made, it made in fact, it made the news here in town. And um, this happened a couple years ago in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. He, he knifed his mother and father. The church was sold... Uh, a military prep school bought it and had a bunch of cadets living there and going to school there. Right. Some of those cadets got it in their mind to go down and kill a homeless person. The military academy got closed down because their cadets had committed murder. I went back a couple years ago and, and with a friend who also used to live there, we went to the place because she still lives in Santa Barbara. She goes, well, it's a coffee house now. Now, that's not just something you get on your mind. Yeah, exactly. And um, we went to the coffee house, and now the coffee house was an occult theme. And you go in, 
And what I felt when I went in there by myself, and just in all the paintings on the wall, all the decorations, was there. We talked to a man whose studio was upstairs in what used to be our apartments. Yes. He said he would not stay there at night. At night, when it got dark, he went home. Whatever it was. But was that building was not a pleasant place. I've got you, sir. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, I've sure got you. I'll tell you... Uh... That really does seem to go on. It does seem to stay within buildings, structures, where things have occurred. Though on other occasions, spirits, ghosts, if you want, have followed people, not let them go. When they're part of it, they seem to get followed. Line one, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Hi, Art. I got a strange story. I used to live in um, Taiwan. Oh, yes. And... Um, a friend and I had uh, just uh, were moving into an apartment, and the apartment had one bedroom, and there was two of us. So we had them put in a wood partition in the middle. Mm -hmm. And um, one night we had come home kind of late, and uh, we had getting ready to go to sleep. And um, he was in his bed, I was in my bed, and we heard these uh, noises, these strange noises, like somebody was throwing uh, BBs. On a on a like a refrigerator, you know, a metallic sound. Sure. And um, I can imagine BBs on a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was I said, you know, cut it out, and he kept telling me to cut it out. You know, we were blaming each other. Right. So uh, I didn't <laughs> think anything of it, and all of a sudden I kind of see my friend, and he's sneaking around this wood partition. You know, the lights are out. Yes. And I'm trying not to laugh because uh, you know I'm kind of hiding under the covers, and I see him coming around here, and I'm saying, well, as soon as he gets to the bed, I'm going to really scare this guy because he doesn't even know I'm looking at him. <laughs> and so he gets to the bed, and I throw up the covers, and I you know scream at him, and uh, I hear my friend in his bed say, you know, Tony, cut it out. And uh, I tell you, I, I just broke out into like a cold sweat, and I laid back, I laid back on the bed, and the bed started to, like it was on the ocean, it just started to move. This way, yeah. And, uh, you know, I told him, I says, hey, turn on the lights, you know, and he heard the, you know, the way I was saying it, and he turned on the lights, and I had him check the front door and the windows, and there was nobody there, and... Uh, Needless to say, you know, I, I, I had, like, friends stay over, like, the next week or so. I was and, 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 keeping there. Yeah. And that was it. And you say the bed moved like a, like ocean waves. Like, like I was on the ocean. Just the whole bed was just, like, floating. Yeah, that bothers me. Thank you very much for the call, sir. That sort of thing bothers me. That and in uh, movies, when you see doors that sort of bend inward. They don't break. They, they bend. God, totally freaky. We'll be back.
of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. This program originally aired October 30th, 1993. Please do not call. Some of the stories this morning, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, really, uh, you, you have all done uh, uh, very well this morning, and there's still a bit more to come, so uh, here we go. Line two, you're on the air. Yes, sir. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Fine. Well, my story is... Uh, my son used to come in, he was uh, 19 years old, and he used to pick roses all the time for me. Right. So one day he said that he was going to go out of state, and I, I didn't agree. He says, let me go. He says, I have a premonition that I don't have a long lifespan. I says, don't be silly. I says, anybody that's going to go first, it'll be me. He says, well, he says, promise me if anything happens to me, he says, you'll send me roses. I says, oh, yeah, and send me lilacs. <laughs> right. So a year later, he got in a car accident, and he passed away Christmas. We lived in an old, old farmhouse over 100 years old. The doorbell was not connected, and the door, these doors were jammed. The one door is never open. All, uh, two days after he died, the doorbell rang, and the doors flew open. And you could smell roses. Oh. You'd come back to say goodbye. Oh. And you smelled roses. Yeah, the smell of roses. And we were just... How did you react emotionally when that happened? I had a very good feeling because he came back to say goodbye to me. And I knew that there was something. That there was something. Because he was only uh, 20 years old when he passed away. There is something, ma'am. Yes, definitely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the story. A lot of stories like that, variations of it. People who have left didn't get finished with their business before they had to go. Good morning. On the first time caller line, you're on the air. Art, this is John calling you back from Fairbanks. Hi, John. Oh, yes, John. I've added to the tapes. Now, I'm going to try to let you hear this duck quacking. And this was just a few minutes ago when you were talking to uh, the young gentleman just before you took your station break. Yes. Now, if this doesn't come across from this portable tape player, I will make copies and send them to you and let you pick it up yourself. All right. Let's hear it. Here it goes. This is just from about ten minutes ago. We'll see how this comes across the network. Here it goes. Hold on. I said, hey, turn on the lights. You know, he heard the... You know, the way I was saying it, and he turned on the lights, and I had him check the front door and the windows, and there was nobody there. And uh, needless to say, you know, I, I, I had, like, friends stay over I absolutely heard it. Hear that? I heard it. That's been on your program all evening long sporadically, that duck quacking noise. Well, I wonder if people at other affiliates have heard that. I, I figured some other caller would, would identify it to you because I've heard it from the beginning of your show. All right, it was clearly there. Either we have a, um, a board operator in, uh, in Fairbanks who, um, uh, who, who has a sense of humor or from a source that 
Uh, no doubt you suspect. <laughs> It'd be interesting to know, but uh, I've been hearing it from your hour one on through. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you Art. for the callback. And uh, I heard it quite clearly. That was in Fairbanks. Hmm. Well, what about some of you at other affiliates? Did you hear any such thing? I assure you I did nothing like that here. Nothing. Sue, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. Oh, good morning. Yes, uh, I wanted to say when I was a teenager, I was sleeping away, and uh, in this dream, I was holding up my ca uh, casket. So I was screaming, and my mother came running in, and she said, what's the matter? I said, I'm holding up a casket. And she said, who's in it? And I said, your brother. So oh. in two days, she got the call. He had died. Oh, uh, how did she, you know, when you told her that in the first place. I've seen his face in the casket. How did she react to that when you told well, her? She was more or less a psychic herself, and she believed it, and he had a sunstroke. And then another time, my dad had to, we lived on the farm, and he had to go to another city in the same state, not far away. And uh, his sister wasn't expected to live. So we didn't have a phone, so a friend had come over and told him that his sister was sick. So he went, and sure enough, about four days later, in the middle of the night, the clock, you know, we had a clock that struck the hour. Sure. And sure enough, the clock used to went bong, bong. This time it went bong, bong. So my mother said, Hey, she just died, and she did. Well, your mother had the power then. Yes, the clock really told us that she had died. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good morning. Coincidence? Maybe. All of these stories, coincidence? Not likely. What do you conclude? Wildcard line three, you're on the air. Well, this is a true story. This is Pat Fitzpatrick from Silver Springs, Nevada. This is a true story about about an an Irish and a, a, a British ghost, uh, and uh, about whom a a poem a poem was written by William Butler Yeats called "The Ghost of Roger Casement." In it, uh, Casement was uh, executed by the British and the Irish government since they became independent. Wanted his body. Every year they'd ask for his body, and finally they got the body back 30 years later when a, uh, a, a, a labor government came to power. But one of Casement's last wishes was, do not let my body rest in this place, which is England. Yes. So Butler wrote, wrote the poem. He said, I can't sleep at night. I hear a knocking on my door. I just cannot sleep. And finally, uh, at the end of it, he says, it's the ghost of Roger Casement knocking on my door. And then the British guy, and of course that poem, it was, it, it was, it was published by Yeats just when Ireland was about to go in on the, on the British side in, in the Second World War. And because the British government had refused to, to, to give the body back, the Irish government stayed, stayed neutral. That's quite a story. Yeah, William Butler Yeats, the ghost Thank of Roger Casement. Thank you, my friend. Bye. Have a good morning. Mr. Fitzpatrick. Line three, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Good morning. 
I've got. I'm going to relate a story that uh, goes back to 1968. Um, I was drafted, sent to Nam because of the tremendous turnover of people and, and whatnot. Well, I, I was in the infantry. We were um, stationed in a small fire base close to the Cambodian border. Mm-hmm. And it was an evening where it was our turn to go out and um, set up a um, an ambush. We... Um, Set it all up. We had everything laid out so that if Charlie came walking along, we could uh, do our thing. Sure. And one one guy was awake. The rest of us were asleep. That gentleman woke us all up. There was six of us, and we all saw a small party of of um, Vietnamese coming at us. They were they were armed and whatnot. And um, at, at the appropriate time, we sprung the ambush and whatnot, and nothing happened. I mean, they just kept right on walking through it, not even looking at us. Like incredible. It was it was the most crazy thing that happened over there while I was there. Imagine everybody check their ammunition. <laughs> well, you know when you when you let go with a claymore, you you know something goes. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the most. I mean, the country itself is a spiritual country, but then to have that happen, and I've never seen. You know, I don't know any of the other gentlemen. I don't know if it's that's, with us. Yeah, I don't know if it's that surprising, sir. People who die violent deaths tend to linger and there are a lot of violent deaths in war i've never experienced anything like it and i doubt if i ever will but it was and i've never told anybody about it big effect on your life um it well without a doubt (laughs) without a doubt the whole thing was was a big effect on my life well i'm honored that you chose uh this moment to tell the story it was uh it was uh it was a good time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Letting me say it. Thank you. Have a good morning. Do you believe him? Did he sound crazy to you, affected? Oh, I suppose you might say that with the strain of war, combat, things like that might happen. Might be a mass hallucination. Or more likely, not. Good morning. On the first time caller line, you're uh, on the air. Hello, I'm calling from Mesa, Arizona. Mesa, welcome to the program. Yeah. Uh, this takes place on the Navajo Reservation, mm-hmm. um, near the trailhead of Rainbow Bridge, and in the vicinity of Navajo Mountain. My father and I were camping in about 1976, and we were camping in the ruins of the old Rainbow Lodge that had burned down some, I don't know how many years ago. Yes. And uh, as we were going to sleep after we'd put the campfire out, uh, we both felt um, a presence of some sort. Uh, didn't see anything. It was something we both felt. Uh, the most notable thing is that my father's a preacher, um, a pre Methodist preacher, and he also has a, uh, uh, a master's degree in archaeology, or anthropology, I should say. And he, uh, he felt it too. I know he did because he said he wanted to offer a prayer. And uh, he prayed uh, something about a, you know, a, having a shepherd you know, watch the sheep. Sure. And, uh, well, it, uh, I guess, eventually disappeared because we both 
went to sleep and didn't really talk much about it after that. And that was uh, about the only thing I've ever happened uh, close to that, close to anything ghostly. But it was enough that you knew that it was something. It was there. There was a definite apprehension, you know, a feeling of apprehension in the air. And I'm sure that uh, people who have lived out on the reservation or visited or uh, you know, been in the, uh, the sacred parts, which is, uh, I guess, Navajo Mountain is part of the sacred area, have stories like this. And uh, I'd be interested to hear from them, too. Maybe you will. Thank you for the call. Gotcha. Right. The presence felt, distinctly felt. Have you ever felt that? No question about it. Something's there. Or no question about it, something cold and not uh, particularly welcome is in your area. It's not a trivial emotion. It's overwhelming. It comes in waves. Have you ever felt it? Line one, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. The fellow from Fairbanks is exactly right. I've been jiggling my radio, wondering what's wrong with it tonight. Usually. Where are you? Anchorage, KNI, you come in usually as clear as a bell tonight. It's been glitches and pops and uh, strange. Really? Strange. I have a story about witchcraft in the Arctic and immortality. All right. 1961, I was visiting an old Eskimo friend in Teller, which is up on the Seward Peninsula, hop, skip, and a jump across from Siberia. Yes, sir. Here, the Arctic Circle, a beautiful day, and uh, this old man, William McQuillock, tribe historian for that Mary's Igloo tribe, uh, quite a famous Eskimo and a young man. We took a skiff, went about 30 miles out of Teller to uh, snipe for gold up a uh, little creek at an abandoned gold mine. Mm-hmm. I was walking along the creek, and I saw something I couldn't believe. A track of a human footprint, left foot, barefoot, in the sand. The creek had just dropped, and this was very, very fresh, and I, I couldn't believe it. My foot was exactly 12 inches long. This was 4 inches longer than mine. One human footprint in a place where you had to walk carefully or you'd touch your rubber boots on the sharp rocks, a lot of quartz there. I called William and his cousin over and said, what is this? He took one look, turned, and started walking away, both of them. About a mile back down to the skiff, and I couldn't figure out what's wrong with him. He acted afraid. I went down, and after a lot of persuasion, he told me a story of the most famous shaman. At the turn of the century, there was a huge Eskimo, nearly seven feet tall, he said, a huge man, who traveled amongst the villages. Strangely, he'd show up 150 miles away in one day. He preached to the people. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead, William told me. A young boy had died, and he put a tent over the grave, crawled in, a big uh, noise, a roaring sound, and he walked out with the boy. This was a famous shaman. Turn of the century was a great gnome gold rush. The army came to try to keep order. They had a law that no witchcraft could be practiced. Well, this huge shaman showed up outside of Nome, and a troop of uh, soldiers went out with a captain to arrest him because he was preaching revolt and warning the people, the Eskimo, against the coming white man. He said, you cannot do anything to me. I have powers greater than you. And he had a man take a spear and stabbed him to prove it spit on his hands, rubbed his side, and there was no scar. And the captain almost went nuts, but he arrested him. They put him on a boat to take the shaman to Seattle for trial, and a storm immediately came up and was about to sink the boat. And they looked, and the shaman, instead of being in the brig, was sitting on the stern looking back at the land. (laughs) So they put him back in the brig. A few minutes later, he was back on the deck. 
the caps went berserk and the sailors turned the boat around and put the uh, someone back ashore near Nome. And I'm he sure. told me, now you know about the track. He is still here in <laughs> Oh, that's a great story. Those are great stories. Thank you for the call. Good evening. You take care. Now, sailors, uh, <laughs> sailors particularly, um, wouldn't, wouldn't sail under those conditions. And you know that goes for sailors today, too. It hasn't changed. You don't... Uh, don't venture out to sea uh, with that sort of thing around you. You don't do it. You just don't do it today or then. Good morning. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Hi, this is Mark again from KNZR in Bakersfield. Hi, Mark. I just wanted to say real quick, you haven't heard any quacking ducks, but we've had a similar experience before about a month ago during your show. What, what, what did you hear? And uh, some ladies had called up during business hours and said they kept hearing someone saying they were going to kill them way in the background. Really? Yeah. So I don't know, maybe somebody along the line is... Well, you never know, of course, uh, Mark, as you well know, you would have the power there to make something... Uh... Yeah, they thought one of us was doing it or something. I see. <laughs> well, I appreciate the information. I find it a little unsettling. Though. Yeah. Okay, just want to let you know. Thank you, Mark. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That's a board operator there in uh, Bakersfield. Well, that unsettles me a little. Line two, you're on the air. How you doing, Art? Okay. Uh, I got a story about uh, my uncle who died about three years ago. He died about two o'clock in the morning. Mm. So we all go to the hospital and, you know, con condole my aunt. And uh, then it was, you know, getting pretty early in the morning, so we all went home for a few hours. And then we came back, and as we all come back in the morning to her house, there's this dog that has just parked itself outside the front of the house. Hmm. And every time somebody got out of the car who was part of the immediate family, the dog came up to them, sat there until you petted it, and then walked away. And as soon as the whole immediate family who was there, you know, came to the house, the dog went away, and we never saw the dog again. What? What? Do you do you have any idea what dog this was, or it looked like a little terrier or something? Well, no, no, no. What kind? But uh, whose or why it did what it did? Any idea? I don't know, but it was just a little tiny dog that was so full of life, and it, I mean, my uncle was the same way. Here was a guy who was just so full of life, and. It was just strange. It just it waited to greet everyone that came to the house, and after everyone got there, the dog was gone. We never saw it again. Well, that's really something. Really weird story. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it's weird. I thank you for the call. You're welcome. You take care. Good morning. On the first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello there. Hello. Yes, sir. You're on the air. Turn your radio off, please. Oh. Turn it off, all the way off. It's off. Very good. Welcome to the program. Where are you? Fairbanks, Alaska. Fairbanks, yes, sir. And quack, quack. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I want to go back to this story from this guy from Alaska, that Anchorage. And you don't want to believe anything that anybody from Anchorage tells you because they're full of bull. <laughs> well, now, is that a... About the shaman, that, that is really ridiculous. Well, now, was that a kind thing to say about a sister city? Sister City, oh, they think they own Alaska, for God's sakes. I've lived here all my life, 65 years in Fairbanks, and I don't like Alaska. Anchorage. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> you got her. Yeah, you know, thank you very much for the call, sir. Never let them know who you are. I guess I'd better take a second out and do as I always try to do and say thank you again for wonderful talk radio. Another uh, truly wonderful week of talk radio.